Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I'm a Chicago-based 32-year-old entrepreneur, pop culture commentator, author, podcaster. A little of this, a little of that. Uh, no, I'm trying to get a little bit better about introducing myself. For if, if you're unaware, my the Be There in Five name is the namesake of my company, Be There in Five. And I kind of got my start for inventing something called the Reminder Mat. And I own the IP for like phrases on doormats, like turn off your straightener, turn off your curling iron. We would make these custom reminder mats of like lists um, for forgetful people on their way out the door. Hence, like the be there in five of it all, you know, the type of person that's probably flustered when they're leaving like myself. And I'm excited because I took a year off from the mats and now I'm kind of incorporating it. Fingers crossed, hopefully with like a broader merge situation under the be there in five brand. So stay tuned. I'm hoping this will work out. I but it was good. I needed a I needed time to write some other stuff and to do the podcast. And it's funny. It's is funny because I'm, you know, I'm a multitasker and I'm always working on so many different projects, but there's something to be said about focus. And I love this podcast so much. And I love the listeners so much. I was like, I'm just going to take a little bit of time and see if I can expand it and see if I can make it more of a full time gig. And this past year has been so rewarding. So cool. I just can't even believe you guys come back every week. And um, thank you for sticking with me. As always, I disclaimer, this podcast is long form by design. I there's a lot of male uh, focused, really long podcasts. And as a uh, listener, I love to dig into lengthy episodes and like do a long ass chore and just have a great time. And so I think I probably create my content in a reflection of what I consume. And I know it's not for everybody, but, um, you know, I just like to get into it. And I like to spend time on these questions because you guys are so nice to call in. So, yeah, we're, we try to hit around two hours uh, each week. And typically this podcast is more about pop culture entertainment news, things going on in the millennial zeitgeist, if you will. Uh, something that's important to me is, you know, there's an intellectual and analytic and in-depth way you can talk about pop culture. You can talk about things within our daily experiences that may be superficial uh, at a glance, but have great depth and meaning in our lives and genuinely move the needle. And I think it's important as women, especially we don't let people trivialize our interests, right? Like people you know, we'll spend clock hours doing fantasy football, make believe football, yet make fun of us for, you know, liking beauty, lifestyle, TV, celeb gossip type stuff. And it's just insanity to me. And it's like, like what you like and own it. And I think these things are really important and do impact our society and our culture. And let's talk about them. And these kind of things range from, you know, what's traditionally reported in news outlets, like doing a deep dive on Free Britney. But I also like to go into things like Mormon mommy bloggers, like phenomenons we are all interested in, but like, there's no specific place to go, you know, kind of dig into it, or at least not podcast or news wise, um, uh, talking about being a, a bridesmaid and the horror of the early call times and the floral robes. You know, I did a deep dive on the trail of weights movement two days ago. I did one called fingertip lengthy. It was about kind of in response to schools, not saying like, oh, we can't require students to wear masks, but the logic from that Washington post article of like, well, you can require people not wear spaghetti straps. And it kind of made me spiral into, wow, this is actually so interesting. I haven't revisited revisited this in a long time. Uh, but young women's education is compromised because of the threat of the male gaze. And young women are removed from class just in case a male could be tempted by a two-inch difference of strap that the dress code is enforcing almost to needlessly control what young women wear. And it's crazy to me that the punishment is for the potential temptation of something innocuous, innocuous, like people like me, who, when I was young, had long legs and would get sent to the principal's office 
for short shorts when they were hardly sexual. It's just I had long legs and nothing fit. It's just ridiculous. And hearing that this stuff still happens in school drove me nuts. And so I did an episode where I saw stories about that and um, also t- talked about funny like wedding things, themes people sent in. I actually really like that episode. So that was a recent deep dive. But I'm actually doing, since it's been a year since I did that first Mormon Mommy Bloggers deep dive, it's six hours, it's three parts. If I knew it would be a thing, I would have done it differently. But it was, I was definitely very nervous to do that. It's very tricky to balance honest honesty and critiquing and in a level of objectivity with, where I kind of can push back on what I think are antiquated and regressive elements of religion. Uh, while also respecting people's religious freedom, you know, I always struggle to toe that line. I'm considerably less nervous now that we've gone through some more serious topics here and you guys have really encouraged me to do so. And I appreciate it. I think anytime you do like mostly lighthearted stuff, it's nerve wracking to shift gears. But in addition to not trivializing our interests, I do believe in range and I believe in being multifaceted. And I think that we can do both. I think we can work our asses off all day and run the world and come home and be like, Chloe, we fought for you. Why are you back with Tristan? We can be like Courtney, Addison Ray, 20 year age gap. Am I mad about it or am I jealous because I want to try that avocado smoothie? James Charles, James Charles house tour. Wow, 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 wow. I mean, he's living large. He's living well. Where, where's Toddy? These are all things I worry about. Um, but anyway, these are things that, you know, as silly as they seem on the surface are fun to talk about and analyze. And if you think about the early, like in January, when I did that TikTok deep dive, when I was essentially just trying to tell you guys what it was, because none of us were on it, to now how infiltrated it is into pop culture, I just think it's really interesting. We have to pay attention. All that to say, you know, on TV shows, they're like, they tell you what you saw last week, then they tell you, tell you what you're going to see this week, and then they tell you this week, and then they do it every commercial break, and you're like, I'm good, I'm here. Can we just get to the thing that you're <laughs> showing me this week and stopping with the recaps and previews? But I know I've been professionally advised to kind of get these things out of the way at the beginning. Let's see. Is there any other housekeeping? Just a reminder, my Atlanta show tomorrow, August 28th, was canceled. It was postponed from May, but now it's unknown when it's going to be canceled. Uh, Listeners have the City Winery sent an email out last month. If you didn't get it, check spam. That's been happening a lot. It's been going to junk mail. Unfortunately, we have the option to refund or hold on to it. The only reason I think that option is better is because it's like I understand when people are in dire financial situations in this economy and need the money, like, I don't want to hold on to it. You deserve it. Well, and I don't have it. It's the venue's money, not mine. Um, I don't really have control over this, unfortunately, but it's kind of depend. There's two fields of thought here. If you are strapped for cash, by all means, get a refund. It's not fair. I mean, I, I don't know when this is going to be rescheduled and I would never want to put you in a compromising position. On the other hand, if you leave the money with the venue, it kind of helps keep these event spaces and small businesses alive. And like, um, I don't know. I, I'm worried for event spaces, honestly. Like, I just don't even know if by the time we're ready to, you know, congregate again, if they'll even be there. So whatever your priority is, whatever your financial situation is, pick whatever's best for you. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just like sad. I I just miss you guys. And I wish I was going to be in Atlanta. And I haven't been there in like outside of the airport. I mean, honestly, since like high school, I was, the last time I was there, I was there for the volleyball junior Olympics. <laughs> That's funny. But actually, there was some it was like so dramatic. I kind of forgot about this. It was this very weird situation where our coach made us forfeit. And I I actually respect and like my coach. And I actually don't even think the parents had that big of a problem with it. But looking back, it's kind of the fingertip lengthy theme of it all. It's like, why? Why are young women held such to such a harsh standard as it relates to like um, fraternizing with boys? You know, long story short, I mean, we spent 
all year, like trying to qualify for Junior Olympics. Um, we get there, maybe play one or two games on the first day. And, you know, you guys understand club sports like this was a hardcore team. It was nationals. It was club. Parents spend so much money on this stuff. I had so many injuries from volleyball. Like, it's crazy to think all the stuff I missed out on for playing. And I don't necessarily regret it. But this was this was a big reason for the end of my volleyball career and why I quit and like didn't play senior year and stuff, because um, we our coach made us forfeit and quit and leave the first day of Junior Olympics because two girls on my team like let boys in their hotel room from like Buckhead. I don't know. It's like the, it's kind of weird to look back on. But he was so furious and he punished all of us. And at the time, it was like this team solidarity thing. But now I'm like. I don't know. I don't think that's I don't think that's fair at all with all the time and money people sink into this and how it would, could have been great exposure for recruiting. And like, I actually think it's kind of quite wrong. And I'm surprised parents didn't push back more. But um, yeah, we all paid for their mistakes. And it's all like, are they mistakes? or Are they just being kids? Like we were what, 16, 17? Is it really that big of a deal? It really wasn't a big deal. And I just feel like this is like kind of the shame uh, that is bestowed upon young women that you don't leave. And that's not what I think they meant to do. It was more so like a protective thing. And like, frustration at how dangerous that could have been which absolutely but knowing the situation firsthand like i knew it was harmless they were just like boys our age and they were just like flirting and it wasn't like they did anything terrible it was very very innocent but i understand whatever it was it's crazy to think back on those things but um speaking of sports i went to a workout class today for the first time in 2020 and i don't mean that in a way of like oh i don't exercise fries before guys i love tacos but really, like I've really deprioritized this um, lately and I feel I've kind of dislocated my shoulder again a couple weeks ago. It's just it needs to be stronger. Anyways, my friend opened a studio in March, which has been tough, obviously, and I want to support local studios. And I went and did like Legree. It's this Pilates reformer thing. And I mean, uh, my body is like gel. I mean, true. I'm going to be I'm not going to be able to walk this weekend. But it's funny because Courtney and I were like. Why are we in such a good mood? This is so weird. All we did was exercise. Exercise is torture. And then we were kind of laughing because we were like, oh, that's so annoying. You know, I find it so annoying when people talk about endorphins and act like they're exercising for, you know, the positive end result and, you know, don't even, you know, flinch at the pure horror and dread a lot of people feel having to work out, even though it's important. It doesn't mean you have to love it. I'm kind of I get annoyed with people that try to get me to love working out. Like it's just for some people, it's like, yeah, you want to be healthy, but it's just just like not enjoyable. And I think for me, it's not that I don't like exercise. It's that I don't like group classes. And that's been so popular in recent years. But I'm like, you know, in a flywheel class, I'm like, literally, I already don't know what I'm doing. I'm already really slow and cheating on the resistance. You're going to put a leaderboard up so I can not only be self-conscious of myself in the mirror, but also have everybody see how bad I am instead of have to infer it from just watching me in the mirror like what kind of god-awful game of, of mario kart is this like in a sea of princess peaches that just ran over a star i feel like wario just on goddamn banana peel and i, I hate cycling classes <laughs> anyways why am i bringing that up i don't even know uh oh because we we're talking about exercising and yeah lol endorphins turns out they're real we'll see how i fare over this weekend but uh i feel more cheerful than usual so that's a good sign First, can we uh, talk about some Black-owned businesses? Uh, if you own or know somebody who owns a business, I have been doing free ads, three to five an episode, depending on what I get and depending on um, how many other ads we have. Uh, and I love it because we can support Black-owned small businesses. I found the best products, and I know you guys have been shopping these places too. 
Um, there's a highlight on my Instagram where you can apply to the form and also where I featured them in addition to a static post. And I'm doing another one soon. But yeah, I mean, literally my Cadence Candle Co. Candle in uh, the scent Dapper. I've already been through one and have to go order my next. Um, we drinking, we're drinking portrait coffee. I'm obsessed. I know so many of you have been um, going to some of the local businesses and I've heard a lot of you talk about Jade Swim and I'm just like, I mean, these brands don't need me. They are, they're doing well on their own, but I just, you know, is, is the, the more awareness, the better, you know. The first one we're going to talk about is called Lulu Valentine Cosmetics LLC. Lulu, Valentine's, Lulu Valentine Cosmetics offers skincare that will provide moisture and increase hydration in the skin barrier to promote overall healthy, beautiful skin. This is the owner creator that signed up for this. Love that. Are you a listener? I'm excited you're here. I'm just, I feel so cool when uh, the owners nominate for ad space. Um, you can go to lulucosmetics.co. And I was reading um, more about this business. And I'm just very impressed with people that make these, you know, natural, safe skincare products in a sea of like nonsense where we just don't even know what we're getting for the insane cost. I'd rather you know, get real ingredients from somebody who who has real skin and understands what their needs are, especially as it relates to moisture, as I have the driest skin on the planet. So uh, Lulu Valentine uh, was previously known as Elix, Elixi Rising Cosmetics, came out in March 2017, and the owner, Ebony, decided to create this brand in hopes to increase healthy skin awareness and provide tips to everyday individuals who need that extra push to follow their dreams and meet their expectations. No one asks for breakouts and inflamed skin. So before you judge and make fun, think about how this actually affects the pe- the per- that person and that person's everyday life. It's more than just making a bump disappear. It's about increasing self-confidence and achieving goals. I love that. Um, so please go to lulucosmetics.co to read more and to shop for some skincare. Secondly, we have Southern Roots Vegan. You can find them at southernrootsvegan.com, by the way. And uh, this person said, Southern Roots is a vegan baked goods company recreating Southern classics with a vegan twist. This minority-owned business was founded by Marcus and Kara Pitts, both both born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Marcus went to Texas Tech and graduated with a degree in architecture, and Kara has always been a servant heart with years of experience in customer service retail leadership and working quality assurance for Medicare and retirement. Her path led her to becoming a caregiver for her grandmother, and when her husband changed his eating to plant-based, it set off a movement for their family. She noticed a world of change in her grandmother's health by introducing more plant-based foods into her daily life. And ugh, these stories amaze me. And wanted to showcase how you don't have to give up anything to enjoy cruelty-free desserts. Marcus and Kara are alumni of Launch SA's Breakfast and Launch Culinary Program, have been featured in SA uh, Live Talk Show, SA being San Antonio, I think, featured on Tabitha Brown's Very Good Mondays. I love her and can't wait to hear how you like their products and be able to give back to their community. I love this. This is a customer who just loves this place. I love that story. That's so cool. Go to southernrootsvegan.com to support, especially if you're in the San Antonio area. In general, I'm just more, I'm curious to hear more about that story. That's super fascinating, especially in a caretaking sense. Um, Wow. Thank you for submitting that. And then this last one for now, so we can get to the episode. I can talk about these. I could do full episodes of these. I love hearing people's stories. Um, Is Valerie Madison Fine Jewelry. Valerie Madison sells handmade engagement rings, wedding bands, and fine jewelry in Seattle. Always with her cycle gold, ethically sourced stones, Valerie's art designs embrace a modern and elegant aesthetic. We love that. Go to ValerieMadison.com. You're going to die. This stuff is so, so beautiful. 
so Valerie founded this in 2014 as a black Latina woman in the fine jewelry industry. She's proud to be changing the scene. She earned her degree in environmental science and resource management from the University of Washington before discovering her love of jewelry design and has found ways of applying environmental responsibility on this path. I love that. These stackables are sick. This jewelry is stunning. Oh, my God. Yeah, you have to look. Go to ValerieMadison.com, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, Madison.com, and check it out. And thank you guys for submitting these, and I will list them all in the show notes. Do some swipe ups on Instagram and add them to the highlight and all that good stuff. And now let's get into the episode. Keep in mind, did I say this earlier? I download them and don't read the transcripts. Um, as they come in, and I'll answer some and assemble some. Some I'll just do in like one pass, but I don't always know what the questions are. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you'll see. So this is me stopping from the beyond, and this is now me two days ago. Hi, Catherine. This is Christina Arroyo calling from Chase Bank. Can you please give me a call back? No urgency on this call. Just following up with our business clients. See if there's anything that we can help with over the phone or any inquiries or questions you may have that we can address over the phone. Thanks, Christina. I'll be in the office until 6 and return on Wednesday. Oh, my God. That was awesome. Um, it wasn't that awesome for you, but I'm just laughing. Uh, people that, like, call me too much, I give them this Google voice number, but, like, she didn't even flinch. There, if you call the, my hotline number, 312-379-9676, A, it doesn't route to my phone. B, it's like a long greeting that's like, hey, guys, welcome to the Be There in 5 podcast hotline. Be sure to leave it to under three minutes. I mean, she didn't. I mean, Christina, well, thank you for your offer. That was a prank call that was specific, aimless, and humorless. Uh, so I'm thinking it was real, and I better give Chase Bank a call. Okie doke. Next voice. <laughs> Hey, this is Amy, longtime listener, first-time caller. Given that we're in week pavilion of COVID, starting to consider delving into reality TV, a thing I've never done before. If I am a fan of a 30 Rock, a Parks and Rec, uh, any type of procedural fun, you know, comedy scripted, but have never gone down the unscripted rabbit hole, what do you prescribe? Where to start? Welcome to all of your recommendations. Wow. What a question. My God. Also, I love how you were like, what do you prescribe? I, I like your vibe. Um, thank you for entrusting me with this. You know, I love 30 Rock. You know, I love I love Parks. I think Parks is unfortunately forever in the office's shadow. And I love The Office, too. But the character development, the sharp writing, the, you know, the side characters on Parks, they're on Parks, they're unmatched. If you've never done Parks and Rec, like I'm so jealous and you're in for six seasons of, of pure joy. Uh, I also. I, I mean, I love Shit's Creek. I love so many shows, I, but this is not about scripted. Uh, it's about reality. And also, I'm front-loading a bunch of Patreon episodes with listeners who have different perspectives on different topics I want to cover and releasing them over time. And I recorded one that's relevant to this question, um, actually. So maybe this is the perfect week to air it that I'll, I'll put up with Abby. She is a reality TV producer who presented at Career Night. We talk a little bit more in depth and I ask some of your questions and it's it was so fun to talk to her. So I'll put that up at patreon.com slash be there in five as a bonus episode. I just think it's fun to have you guys get to know other members of the community and people have so much different knowledge to offer. And I'd rather hear from you, the experts in the field of being a part of this community of living life and the topics I talk about. And I'm just I'm grateful for all of you. Uh, I also love a happy endings. I, I think Penny from Happy Endings is one of the best exaggerated depictions of a millennial like TV has ever seen. And I like love Casey Wilson. 
But that show just, yeah, it got canceled after three seasons. If, if you've never seen that just from a scripted recommendation, just a heads, give it a try. Happy Endings is so good. I, I mean, I love so many scripted television shows, but that's not the point now, is it? Um, for reality. Okay, so I would argue that 90 Day Fiance, before the 90 Days season one, is one of the best reality seasons of all time it it it's unbelievable <laughs> i my my husband it, he watches that with me i mean we now watch them all 90 day fiance 90 day fiance happily ever after 90 day fiance before the 90 days uh nine b90 strikes back i mean there's too many spill up spinoffs i don't love pillow talk it's basically like the people's couch but anyways it's not important for a beginner what i need you to do is i need you to you know go to tlc.com use someone's login i don't care Watch before the 90 days season one with Paul Carini and the gang and the, and the um, you know, lock of hair he takes of his mother's to Brazil with him and um, thank me later. I think that a lot of people do make the mistake of watching the regular 90 day fiance season one, which is good. It's just not as good as before the 90 days, because the premise of the show is that the person, the K-1 visa process is uh, what the person that is not from the u.s has to have in order to live in the u.s for 90 days but they have 90 days to get married or else they have to go back home so 90 day fiance typically takes place in the u.s whereas before the 90 days takes place in the person's you know the significant other's native country that's typically not the united states and you know i'm here for a fish out of water story but hardly even a fish out of water i mean one gal goes to amsterdam just like takes hours getting ready actually to quote penny uh from happy endings she Essentially, he takes a horse bath in an eau bon pain, and uh, by that I mean a, the family restroom, and puts on these like tw- you know six inch lubes. Gets gets a shoe stuck in the escalator. I mean, it's all it's so good. It's just like so stupid. Much less when you watch people go to you know take a plane to a train to a bus to a canoe to some remote place in the Amazon that's from Louisville, Kentucky. Watching them try to assimilate is truly a gift. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of layers there with like what the motives are. I think a lot of times the men like, I don't know, I think there's a lot of issues with how different cultures are represented. I think sometimes we project Western values onto people and we're like, call women bitches and awful people because um, they're marrying this guy from the States clearly for money. But marriage in every culture isn't about love. Sometimes it's functional. Like, you know, I think there's an opportunity to to look deeper uh but the show does not do that so if you just want to surface level gawk at people in unusual situations and romances that are literally impossible and most definitely fake on one person's behalf but the other person is blissfully unaware of it then watch that show okay what else do i love i love married at first sight i think married at first sight is outstanding uh you also need to watch married at first sight season one either episode one or two not the matchmaking special but the episode where Jamie and Doug get married is one of the finest TV moments I've seen as well. It's 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 a, it's a gift. Uh, I, watching somebody marry somebody they're seeing for the first time at the altar and watching them basically judge them exclusively for looks is also fantastic television that you can't believe is happening. And you I don't I'm I I like a cringe. I really do. I like a cringe more than I like an argument. Some people like shows where people fight. I like to cringe. Um, Okay, let's see. What else? I mean, I guess it's, it's actually funny that I didn't start with Bravo. I think I've told you guys recently, I'm a little bit off the Bravo train. It's boring me. I think we're evolving as a society. I think that uh, a lot of the housewives are tired outside of, I still think, I think Potomac's strong. 
I'll always have a special place in my heart for Roni. Dorinda announced that she's leaving today. Uh, there's rumors about Ramona. I mean, who knows, you guys? What a cast refresh help, maybe. Uh, we never saw Shana Medor coming to OC, but she saved that show and ultimately kind of ran it into the ground as well. But apparently she's filming right now. But uh, I, I, I just think quarantine has done something to me where I resent TV a bit because it's like all there is to do. And it's just I'm having trouble getting into it. So I don't know if it's circumstantial or the formats and characters are getting tired. But that said, I spent the majority of my TV watching career very, very devoted to Bravo. And I'm almost jealous of you that you get to start some of these start start back at square one uh, on some of these because I think they're older, earlier stuff before reality shows, especially were such a, a clear formula yielding instant fame for whatever product it is or the lily pad you're hopping off of to get out, you know, ultimately get divorced. But this show is really going to be the only you're only out because it's going to show how awful your husband is on screen. Um, I mean, OK, so where to start? Uh, Vanderpump Rules and Southern Charm have two of the best reality show first seasons I've ever seen. Um, and I'm focusing on ones with first seasons because I'm not going to tell you to start a series and ask you to get into it when it doesn't pick up till like four or five. If I'm if I want to turn somebody on to reality TV, I'm not going to commit you to that that volume, high volume of programming. Um, but I think Vanderpump Rules and Southern Charm had two seasons one and two are some of the greatest reality shows I've ever seen because not because I approve of the characters, not because I approve of their decisions, not because I don't think a lot of them are hugely problematic and like shouldn't have been let go, but because. What makes a great reality show is inherent unmanufactured drama. Uh, reality shows are more engineered than perhaps scripted shows at times. Like, I really think that so many of them transparently have nothing going on. And so they have to have like a fashion show and a secondary market. You know what I mean? Whenever there's like a Real Houses of New Jersey or, you know, Atlanta, whatever. And they're like, are you coming to my fashion show? And I'm like, it's on a Tuesday. You're in an event space in New Jersey that primarily hosts bot mitzvahs and you just like stuck a runway in it and called it a fashion. Like this isn't Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week, but I think they have to make up these events to have something to do. And I mean, granted, some some great drama comes from these, but like with Vanderpump Rules, it was shocking because the other show I would advise you to watch the first couple seasons of and feel it out, see where how, how you're doing, see if you want to keep moving. But I'd argue it's one of the finer franchises. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I want to say, was it season four? All of a sudden, the show ends, but it doesn't end. And it just switches. And the like staff serving a party, like the catering staff doing a party at Kyle Richard's home. It all of a sudden switches. And the focus of uh, the program are these like servers. And you're confused for a second. But you realize Evolution Media has pulled off one of the most iconic switcheroos in Bravo history, where we were watching a very good episode of the real house real housewives of beverly hills where brandy glanville is confronting a mistress of her ex-husband eddie cibrian who we now know is with leanne rhymes but one of the people that eddie cheated on brandy glanville with who's a real housewife of beverly hills one of the people he cheated on her with for two with for two years was a woman lovely young woman named sheena sheena at the time sheena marie and you realize lisa has employed her friend's ex-husband's mistress. And this is when we should have known Lisa was the worst. 
uh, it's a great scene. But then all of a sudden, we don't even know we're watching a new show and not The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So what do we all do? We keep watching. And what we're introduced to is a show called Vanderpump Rules, which when you really think about it, makes no sense. Uh, I think there's a lot more of an opportunity to use a play on Sir, which is the restaurant they work at, which stands for Sexy Unique Restaurant, by the way, one of truly the worst acronyms of all time. We're thrust into this world that I don't even know how to encapsulate all that is the first two seasons of Vanderpump Rules. It's like, how can some, how can a bunch of people that seem so empty be so fulfilling, you know, to watch on television? And I think sometimes that's the irony is like the spectacle of people trying to make it that are so young that they have access to everything, but they're too young to be self-aware. It makes for great television. Beyond that, when people are actually friends, the drama is outstanding. We're introduced to a group of servers and bartenders at Lisa Vanderpump's restaurant, Sir, who at the time is described as Villa Blanca is where you take your wife. Sir is where you take your mistress. Cute, Lisa. And uh, we meet a bunch of gals. They are literally wearing um, not even pashmina scarves. No, God, no. That would be like Handmaid's Tale, none apparel. Um, they are wearing the square, like Hermes almost, like tissue scarves that you would see next to the belts at a Steinmart um, around their bodies. They talk about how they can't really wear underwear. They joke about the high volume of flesh exposed in a place where they handle food. And it's like mandated by their, you know, management where they only like hire hot people to wear this tiny scarf. It's just the whole thing's frustrating and wonderful. Um, and Lisa Vanderpump says things like, if I fired someone every time they slept with another employee, I'd have no staff. And you're like, what? Like this show should be called HR violation. She acts like she's some mentor when really like nobody would ever be that close with their restaurant's GM. It's just like not realistic. I guarantee you she made it mandatory to have her name in the title. Because it it adds to the ubiquity of the the Vanderpump name, uh, but I mean the show is the show is unbelievable. Like the one the the young woman I mentioned earlier, the mistress Sheena Marie. Uh, not only does she at one point in the first season drop her first single "Good as Gold," which to be honest is quite the earworm that I don't turn off my random shuffle. Uh, she she also has a has a tattoo on her forearm that says "It's all happening." She nods to. The first episode. But the best part about Sheena Marie, later on, Shay, uh, is that literally it never happens for her. Never. It's never. <laughs> Every season never happens. But, you know, it's a little, you know, get a, in your early 20s and it's all happening tattoo on your forearm. Then, yeah, your 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 wish is the universe's command. You will peak. I can't even get into too much detail because the cheating scandal... The drama between friends is so interesting, the first couple seasons. At one point culminating with a character, you know, getting out of a, a and I won't tell you which one, it's probably not the one you'd think, getting out of like a, you know, five, six year relationship and a breakup. And, you know, when you go through a breakup and you kind of go, you know, you left your charger behind, maybe some mail, you got to pop in and see your ex for the first time. In a moment of solidarity with solidarity with victims of unrequited love everywhere, she shows up in a cocktail dress in midday, full cleavage. It's it's bright green hair, fully done in a loose wave, full glam, and just like pops in to grab her mail. It's like it's one of my favorite scenes ever. I don't know why. I just love the idea of 
being trying to be so unassuming, yet perhaps making one of the boldest moves you could. And we all know my favorite way to describe anything is bold yet unassuming. But it's even funnier when the unassuming part doesn't work. I, the, the show, I mean, like, I'm, it's not really like doing anything for society. But like, sometimes you just don't know how badly you need to watch a like roided out cheating monster and a white chunky sweater mid-June get in a fist fight outside of a Moroccan restaurant in a strip mall in Las Vegas, where he then, you know, throws and slams his chunky net on the ground, shawl collar and everything, uh, to expose he's shirtless underneath. Because who, why wear a shirt under a chunky net in the summer? The, you, you, whoa. <laughs> that would be too hot. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, anyways, I could go on forever. It's, uh, I, I highly recommend it. Okay, so Southern Charm. Southern Charm is another one that in retrospect, you're like, holy problematic. Uh, but this is what television does. It immortalizes. It's a time capsule of a time we're in or a time these people are in in a certain part of their lives in a specific area whose denominator is is so um, narrow, niche, or different that it warrants having a reality show. Southern Charm takes on a group of actually kind of non-friends um, in Charleston that are, you know, like they they try to start out the beginning episode almost in that housewives way of being like, uh, you know, focusing on like wealth and connections and like the city is my playground type of thing. But like explaining what founding fathers they're related to and like the plantations they own, which I think has now been like stripped down from the site. There's a woman on TikTok exposing all the problematic uh, Southern Charm episodes and they're getting actually taken down. Um, Good for her. I mean, I don't even, you just have to watch it. It's got Cameron from the real world, San Diego, the 18 year old blonde, the beautiful girl that was always like Brad. And remember Brad and Robin from that season, they went to jail on the same night. Wild. Uh, <laughs> I would recommend the real world, but I'm out of practice and I don't remember. But I vaguely remember my favorite season being New Orleans with the David Come On Be My Baby scat master um, and Julie, the Mormon and Kelly, the blonde. I'm like, I don't remember anything. <laughs> no, I do. But anyways, I don't even know where you can watch those now. Uh, but yeah, Southern Charm's awesome. It's like this really problematic, awful monster, now disgraced dude, Thomas Ravenel, whose family is like wealthy. The bridge is named after them in Charleston. Um, he's in his 50s and hangs out with a bunch of like 20 somethings and, you know, ultimately gets with this like fire redhead that slept with three of the cast members in the first season, which is not a spoiler. It's announced at the dinner party by Craig, who was not without his problems, but I likened him to one of the more earnest cast members on reality television, like a Tom Sandoval, who's just so himself, you can't help but be a little bit charmed. But then there's like frat stars like Shep or JD or people that just have that, you know, blazing red faced alcoholism uh, that is stained, stained polo vibe with a critter short, a croaky with their sunglasses, a, you know, sockless Sperry situation. Not that you should wear socks, but you you get the vibe. And, uh, you know, a slightly shaggy haircut and one of those like kind of flippy front bangs that they have to like move their head to get out of their face, uh, dip spit cups around the house and just like a general douchey demeanor that you're both uh, slightly endeared by, but also you have no interest in them, but also it infuriates you that they seem to pay attention to literally everything that walks besides you. Um, is that is that just me? That, that is always my hang up with frat boys. It's like, oh, wow, you'll touch, you know, get with anything that moves. But like I'm like tap dancing in front of you. I just don't think I'm for a frat boy, if I'm being honest. But, you know, not 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 the time for that discussion. Um, yeah. Southern Charm is great. The first two seasons, genuine inherent drama, just like Vanderpump Rules. 
real life stuff going on, real life relationships, kids being born. I mean, it's wild. But please know, I do not endorse many of the problematic themes throughout these shows. I'm here for the entertainment. And at the time, wasn't thinking of really their impact on the world, nor was Bravo, because I don't really think that's what they're going for. I loved Ladies of London. It was I thought it was so good. Apparently, it was expensive to produce. Um, it's kind of it, it's interesting in a sense of it's it's half Americans, I think, and half people from London or the UK. Uh, and the, you know, the niche echelon there is the notion of society and aristocracy. And all anyone talks about is their adjacency to, um, you know, a, they're like a dukedom or some title and royalty. And they're just so snobby. And it's such an old school type of um, social hierarchy that is both disgusting and entertaining and watching the Americans sort of like claw their way to these people to do the top by like opening hot dog restaurants and places named bumpkin is very interesting. And I love the addition of Caroline Fleming, the most, like apparently she's the most famous person in, is it Denmark? And I'm obsessed with most famous people in X country here. I think that's such an interesting concept and so cool that at home you are so important and, but you can go around the world and be virtually anonymous. Like what a gift. So yeah, ladies of London. I know I didn't said the housewives, but uh, those are, this is, t there's just so many franchises. If you're going to prioritize, I'd say Rahoney, uh, Real Houses of New York, Atlanta, Beverly Hills are some of the most outrageous early seasons. And again, I'm trying to get you into early seasons. I'm not going to ask you to like watch season four of something, even if that's the best one. Because like Potomac's really strong now, but I wouldn't argue that his first season was as strong. Um, listen to my podcast with Lucy O'Connor. Maybe you were with Danny Pellegrino. I think I've talked about Housewives a decent amount. Uh, but let's see what else. Oh, obviously, my favorite show is about religious people, like the Lifetime short-lived one-season show, The Sisterhood Becoming Nuns. It's wild. I think much like Aparna didn't know what she was signing up for Indian matchmaking, I think that like this show recruited people for something that they didn't know was a show about becoming a nun. So half the women there are like kind of pretending to be into the um, convent, but then half of them are dead serious. And it's like their dream and they worship these nuns. and. It's so entertaining. And uh, they like think, I don't know, they talk about how sexy Jesus is and how he looks like a sexy surfer. It is so strange. I can't recommend it enough. It makes me belly laugh. Uh, I, oh, my gosh. On YouTube. You have to. I mean, this is not an option. Watch Mo Provo's Most Eligible. It's a Mormon bachelor that is filmed at, it, like with BYU students that is so incredibly low budget. Um, it, 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 it mirrors that of a school play. The second season is better and the production quality goes up. But I mean, if, if it's just it's so, so uncomfortable. It's so pure. The nature of like Mormon dating, it's like you can't touch before marriage. I mean, these it's like they're social distancing already. They, they're just so uncomfortable around the opposite sex. And it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, whereas there's like uh, on The Bachelor, a Corinne type that puts whipped cream on her chest. Uh to you know get nick v to lick whipped cream off of it this is more like a, a girl named kathy in a summer turtleneck next to a chest of drawers uh in a church basement giving the bachelor you know her latest needlepoint and uh talking about how she'll never find love and she's because she's so old and she's acting like she's an octogenarian but she's actually like 20 years old but she's somehow her only like single friend and everyone around her is married and as a kid it's it's such a bizarre it, it's it's kind of just encapsulates what we're also fascinated by which is the immense like pressure the early dating the dating to marry the courting and the kind of you know pure virtuous mentality of uh people that are you know part of the LDS faith and watch the first couple episodes of the first season see what your vibe is it's cringe-tastic I, I can't recommend it enough 
but then you feel free to skip to the second season. Again, this is on YouTube and I do need to thank Adrian Cooper for bringing this into my life. You know, I love like a niche, niche, niche uh, reality show about a hobby that requires so much skill, so much artisanship, so much meticulous attention to detail that takes years to even be half decent and you stick with it and it is so remarkably low paying, yet you do it anyway. That, my friends, is, is passion. That is determination. I loved this show so much that I, my husband took me glass blowing for my birthday last year. It's called Blown Away. Same, similar uh, speed cubers, which I know I've talked about. They Rubik's Cube competitions. Uh, I wish that was, that was a longer documentary. You know, I love Love on the Spectrum. And then there's the Bravo shows that were like, you know, that either have been canceled or one or two seasons. I loved, loved, loved the Rachel Zoe project. I was so charmed by her 180 as a mother. I was obsessed with her like hustle. Her and Roger's relationship is so interesting. He's he's so into her. Sky Sky is just the cutest. Um, and I forget her second son's name. Sky Sky and Caius. That's a that's yeah. Sky Sky and Kai Kai. Um, and it's a Brad Brad World was a spinoff from that that was very short lived. That's not worth watching outside of uh, Gary Janetti throws a flash mob for Brad and it's like uh, all of his family members singing Les Mis. Of one day more, I believe, and it's so good, and I YouTube it often. I loved Pregnant in Heels with Rosie Pope. That was wild. Uh, if you want to learn, you know, that's where I first learned about placenta smoothies. That's just rich Upper East Side women that won a maternity concierge. Uh, Courtney loves Dallas, most eligible Dallas. I loved Courtney Kerr was on my podcast uh, back last May, I believe, and she's wonderful. I've also had Hannah Burner from Summer House. Oh, I love Summer House. My husband will watch Summer House too. Uh, on the podcast, uh, and Garcelle Bouvet of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I'm not huge into getting random guests, especially like I need somebody to have a vague level of familiarity with me because I don't want to interview people doing press for the most part. I don't know. I just kind of don't like the half-assery of guests just to say I have them. I kind of wait till people have a vague familiarity or follow me on Instagram or something. So I loved Hannah, loved Garcelle, loved Courtney. Oh, I loved... There's this show on VH1 called House of Consignment in 2012 that takes place in Chicago. Corey McFadden, if you're out there, I think she listens to the podcast. Love her. She's like a badass uh, business owner, a 20, in like 28 or 29, that owned this multi-million dollar luxury consignment business. And it was like the ins and outs of the office and the high maintenance products and customers. I just, I really liked it. It's a good Chicago show also. Better than 100 Days of Summer, our only Bravo show that was just not great. The Kardashians are fine. I liked Courtney and Kim take Miami or Courtney and Kim take New York for the Chris Humphreys one. I liked uh, Courtney and Chloe take Miami for the Scott Disick uh, punching a mirror of it all. I'd say the spinoffs can be more entertaining than the regular seasons. Some of the earlier seasons are good. But meanwhile, they have nothing going on right now. And it's just like Kendall doesn't want to be famous. Kylie is just posting thirst trap photos from Turks and Caicos. And we're like, are we traveling? Like, what's happening here? Uh, and, you know, like we talked about on Heather McMahon's podcast, literally morphing Stasi's body into a replica of hers. Uh, you know, Chloe's back with Tristan and we're like, we fought for you. What are you doing? Kim, I think, is trying to lay low because of the Kanye situation. We might we might as well put Rob's face on a milk carton. He's been missing for a long time. Uh, Chris is behind the scenes just trying to figure out how to make her family relevant again and how to bankroll Corey Gamble. And MJ is just still, you know, in San Diego thinking that her one of her you know, granddaughters is actually going to marry an accountant. Bless her heart. I love MJ. So it would make sense that all they have now is what I expect to happen soon, which is Courtney and Addison Rae's friendship being a big plotline of the next season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, because Courtney is a grumpel Stiltskin who didn't want to film, 
But maybe if she gets this super new relevant friend that like Mason and Penelope are obsessed with because they like TikTok and befriends a 19 year old and eats avocado smoothies with her every day until they go work out and then go for a swim and then do glam and then set off on their day. They literally said that on YouTube, Addison Ray, 60 million followers on TikTok, 19 years old, Kourtney Kardashian, I believe 41 years old. They hang out five or six days a week. Isn't that wild? I really did originally think it was for like Mason's friends, <laughs> which I guess is weird too, but. I think that uh, Courtney's getting uh, going to get a lot of airtime because of Addison. I also think Addison's being groomed for a TV show uh, and the D'Amelios are filming one, too. So good for them. Uh, I left married to Jonas. If anything, just to understand the dynamic between Danielle and the other Jay sisters, Sophie and Priyanka. Uh, if you're wondering why Danielle seems to be held captive or being held against her will during those music videos where they inexplicably bring in the girls every time, it's because she just wants to chill in her house in Long Island and eat Italian meals with her family and like pop out kids. And she seems surprised that Kevin wants to tour, even though she married a pop star. She met at Atlantis, my literal best case scenario of 2004. <sighs> oh my God. Flipping out with Jeff Lewis. I love that show. But other than that, I'm not really into that many home shows. Fixer Upper, I find to be warmer than Flipper Flop and Chip and Jojo charm me for a time. But you know, I've talked about them before. Their entire memoir was like thanking God for their success. And I'm like, OK, but how did you set up a supply chain? Don't think the big guy had a big hand in that. Like, can we, I get that you're blessed, but let's talk about tactical business here. Uh, I think I think their style is warmer than El, the El Musa's. The El Musa's kind of our mid to low budge home stager vibe with like green accents, trellis, you know, prints, vases from home goods, a lot of clean lines and white lacquer. I do need wood and I do need warm, but I don't need like bless this nest uh you know barn door warm even though i do have one in my home <laughs> i heard chip and jojo are coming back is that right they're funny I, I i mean i think they're very sweet don't get me wrong other than that i don't really watch home shows outside of selling sunset which i love i forget if i mentioned that i totally forgot to i need to uh, do an update on that sometime because I, the la I, I talk about selling sunset for like 15 minutes on an episode in june called snorkel uh but i haven't i don't know if i've talked about it since this recent season with Christina's wedding and Chriselle, I've been trying to get Chriselle on the podcast is kind of why I've been delaying it too, but I don't know. She's a hot, hot commodity right now. Uh, if anybody knows her, please send her my way or anybody really, except for Davina. She terrifies me and, and Christine, my God, I burst into flames on zoom. Like she terrifies me. <laughs> why do you need to dress up like Lady Gaga to like do a casual open house? It's just very strange. I, I don't, I don't really get it, but um, apparently the million dollar listing guys. And I think Chrissy Teigen, Chrissy Teigen too said like, no one's ever known them to actually sell a home, which is confusing because I really do believe Mary at the very least. Uh, I don't watch a lot of food shows. This is a big gap for me. I need to mind my gaps, my knowledge gaps. Uh, I I've watched a little bit of top chef. I just think the food's cold and it must be rigged. Uh, I just don't believe Padma when she's eating the food. I really do think it's very cold. Um, <laughs> And uh, my, I'll have to ask my sister. She's she almost exclusively watches food shows. I find people either watch most of the aforementioned shows or they watch cooking shows and decor shows. You know, I feel like that's kind of an HGTV Food Network type of person that I, I'm not really. Uh, but, you know, I, I like a food documentary like a or, or Dreams of Sushi. I've effed with some chef's table. I, I actually quite like um, Restaurants on the Edge, which is a... Uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, much like a person whose looks peak in middle school and never taper, often disabling them from developing a personality. Restaurants with great views need not strive for quality. And this is like a huge problem if your environment's so strong. It never requires anybody to really 
uh, develop a strong service model or uh, food menu uh, in in house. And it's it's kind of I don't know. I find it to be interesting. I really enjoyed the Slovenia episode and the Switzerland episode. Okay, I need to stop. I'm so sorry. I want to thank one of our sponsors. You know, I'm coming back in from the beyond right now. And uh, later in the episode, I talk about you know my early days in New York City. And the two things I put on a credit card were a New York and Company suit and a super overpriced mattress that had coils that stuck into my back that I held on to for years just because I was so annoyed at how much I paid for it. And then when I moved in with my husband, I think he had a mattress that was about $120 off of Amazon. I spent the better part of the decade unable to sleep. And you guys already know I can't sleep. So uh, needless to say, when Helix sent me a mattress, this was my first big influencer gift. It was very exciting. I was blown away. It's it's uh, You just never know what you're going to get. And I hadn't ever done any sort of internet mattress uh, situation, but it actually turned out to be better than even going to the store and trying out a mattress because, well, A, I don't think we're, you know, really trying out floor models anymore in a post-COVID world, but Helix Sleep has this uh, quiz and you, in two minutes, they tell you what mattress you need and they ask you questions like if you're a side sleeper, stomach sleeper, do you tend to get hot? Does your partner have sleep preferences, soft, medium, firm, all of those things. And when I took Helix's quiz, I was matched with, matched with a mattress called Dusk because I sleep on my stomach. I get super hot. My husband likes a firmer mattress. I like a softer one. And we met in the middle at medium. I'm obsessed with it. It's one of the nicest things I own as an adult. And honestly, I just genuinely love this company. And I think they make a really strong product. And you don't have to, you know, ask me. GQ, Wired Magazine, Apartment Therapy, all named it 2020's number one mattress of the year, which is so cool. And yeah, Helix Sleep, they make personalized mattresses made right here in America, shipped straight to your door, free no-contact delivery, free returns, 100-night sleep trial. And yeah, to choose a mattress, you just take the quiz and it'll match you with a customized mattress selection. So if you go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five, take their two-minute quiz, get matched with a customized mattress to give you the best sleep of your life, they, just a reminder of a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights, risk-free. It, they'll pick it up for me if you don't love it, but I promise you will. I genuinely mean that. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders. That is up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash be there in five. H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash be there in five. Just how the show is spelled. Truly, you won't regret it. If you aren't sleeping, I don't think I'm going to sleep till after November personally. Why, why not? Why not do a little something nice for yourself? We have it hard enough. At least you can get a good night's sleep. I'm done with yet. I just honestly wanted to tell you guys, I think this mattress is awesome. <laughs> hey, Kate Lila. It's Karen calling from the Gold Coast in the state of Queensland in Australia. My sister and I are in love with your podcast and consider you like a really good friend um, from back home. So thanks so much for the great podcast and please keep it coming. I have a question for you today that relates to how long do you think it is okay to remain living with an ex-partner post-breakup? My ex and I broke up last December, and we're just getting ready to end having lived together since then. The reason for us was sort of a poor man's conscious uncoupling to try to financially help each other out as we own the home together, um, to allow him time to buy me out and for me to be able to then buy my own place. But sometimes I question if I put my mental health on the back burner um, for the financial benefit. And I've also had some friends and a lot of my family really question my decision making on this one. So would love to know your thoughts. Thanks so much. Oh, my goodness. Well, a couple things. One, of course, we're friends, me 
you, your sister. I love when people say that. <laughs> and thank you for caring, listening. Uh, secondly, I assume you already anticipated this, but do you go back to December all the time? I don't mean to be insensitive, but if somebody breaks up in December, I'm just like, wow. Uh, I don't I don't know if I'm going to approve this, if I'm honest. Here's the thing. <sighs> so... I get where you're coming from, and I totally get the decision. Where this gets tricky is, um, you know, the concept of renting versus buying. I don't know the specifics of where you live in your situation. Sometimes it does make sense to buy. I think for me, you know, if anyone's out there, I would recommend renting until you get married just because law. there's plenty of laws that help protect married couples when they split up and divide their property. Uh, but that um, legal relief and protection doesn't exist for unmarried couples, at least not in the United States. So I'm not sure what it's like in Australia. Uh, but I get like if your partners maybe don't want to get married, like, you know, lower rates, rising rents. Y- you want to be able to deduct interest first, no matter what your family or your sister or I mean, love your sister, too. And thanks for listening to the show, by the way, to her, too. Um <laughs> But regardless of what anyone says or how bad you're letting yourself feel or, you know, I just commend yourself. Be proud of yourself for not staying in the wrong relationship. And even though being tied, having an asset uh, tied up together is really a frustrating and clunky process in a breakup, please be so proud of yourself that you're not letting that, um, you know, hinder you from moving forward and moving on with your life and finding a better relationship. I, I think that when... Breakups happen and they're hard. Your, you know, your loved ones, they don't want to see you hurt. And so they go straight to like, how can we not mess up again? Let's go through everything you did wrong in your decision making. When really you have to make decisions for yourself. You probably did what you thought was right at the time. I do have thoughts on it. But first and foremost, I just do want to say like it it's very hard to break up with somebody you live with. It's even harder to uh, sever, you know, a situation where you share an asset especially without any sort of legal protection. And I'm very proud of you. I just wanted you to know that. As I know, I'm a broken record here, but like I just firmly believe that you have to look at your decisions for better, or for worse, as you know, as long as you're doing what you want to be doing and you're not making decisions for the benefit of somebody else, you're doing it right. I think where we get resentful and I think where we make mistakes is when we kind of um, almost in a martyr sense or, uh, you know, we we try to appease others or do the right thing for other people by sacrificing something ourselves, even though the other person isn't necessarily mandating that of us. Right. I think this is where a lot of friendships and relationships go wrong is, uh, you know, especially, you know, a lot of wonderful women I know are incredibly selfless and you don't want to screw somebody over. And you almost convince yourself in your head that you have to do this to not screw the other person over, not realizing you're essentially sacrificing your own needs, uh, your own mental health for the benefit of somebody else who ultimately isn't going to pay you back. They're just going to move on. You're just giving them a runway to swords. What what are they doing for you? And even though it sounds like you guys bought it together and wanted to save money, you know, so you could own it so he could buy you out. But you saying like at the expense of your mental health and like that he needed to save up to buy you out. It kind of sounds like you let him hang around when not I don't but you probably theoretically couldn't have booted him because he you can either have, you know, single one person as the title and you're his landlord, which I think is like the real power move. If you're going to buy a place I and you're not married, I would just buy it as an individual, not the other person pay you rent. But in this scenario, let's say 
you were in the more favorable financial place, you could have bought the place out, whatever, and you didn't have something contractually lined up before. I d- without knowing much about the situation, and, and you know, again, I'm proud of you, and I, you can't change the past, but I would have, if he broke up with me, I would have been like, cool, you're deciding to sever this relationship and this partnership and this house ownership. You go find a place to live uh, and, you know, get me a subletter or I'll pick who I who sublets. If it's a one bed and that's not going to happen, um, I would have both left and just sublet it to somebody or actually just leased it to somebody short term or whatever. You guys pay separate rents. You save up money. One buys the other out. However, you decide that. Um, or honestly, I might be quicker to be like, I'm if you want to end this, I'm going to leave. I don't want to be around our, our house, our stuff. You know, like I would want a tangible shift to transition away from that energy. So, yeah, TLDR, I would not have done that. But I'm I I I I do not I'm not very resilient with stuff like that. I would need the Band-Aid ripped off. I would need like cut off contact and I to be able to move on. I think that gray area is just tough for a lot of people, myself included. And it sounds like you're self-included. I don't know if you're still friends with benefits or anything, but would I have done that? Probably not. Do I think there were other solutions that may involve the hassle of leasing the place to somebody else and costs of you moving, etc.? Yeah, because I do think finances are important. But if it's not dire, I do think you should prioritize your mental health and well-being over finances. And my concern is it sounds like you were kind of doing him a favor. Uh, more so than you, it being mutual. And I'm not sure if I understand that correctly. But at the end of the day, I do think you have to trust that for some reason you thought that was the right thing to do. I think if we sacrifice too much for others, we have to learn from that and listen to that, especially because it's probably our nature. And we'll default to that thinking it's the right thing to do. And people are like, follow your gut, follow your gut. I, for me, this is hard because my gut is like, I just don't want to deal with this. I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want to disappoint somebody else. I'm just going to you know, let my life go up in flames, but at least I don't have to deal with somebody being mad at me or resenting me because I, I don't, I don't, I don't like that energy either. Like I just, I want to be able to like scoot through life without making people mad or screwing anybody over. And I do think when it comes to finances, to assets, um, we need to be more mindful of making head decisions over heart. And normally I would tell you to follow your heart, but not when um, you need to have a roof over your head. You need to feed yourself. You need to take care of your own financials and your own credit. I I firmly believe like I want women to be able to stand on their own two feet. I never want anybody being stuck, you know, because somebody can hold it over your head that, you know, they're giving you shelter or they're funding your lifestyle. This is how people stay in toxic relationships. This is how people get themselves into situations that are hard to, you know, disentangle themselves from. And uh, to be able to, if something doesn't work out and you have no legal protection, to save enough money to have your own money, to have a way to empower yourself to leave, to stand on your own two feet, to start over and to not uh, need them in, in order to be able to move on. Uh, lastly, I mean, also, what is this life? What is 2020? This year doesn't count. It's a pandemic. You, I totally skipped over the fact that you probably quarantined together and how difficult that is. Maybe you thought you'd do this for a little while and then it turned into six months. And in that case, I'm very sorry. But yeah, I mean, go easy on yourself. We're all doing the best we can. I also can't comment on your finances without knowing your work situation, his the economy. Who the hell knows? Just make sure by living there, you're not absorbing bad energy, not unable to move on. You know, it's awesome that you he bought 
you out and you own it or no vice versa i forget no yeah you 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 own the place um but yeah if you need to sell it if you need to move on that's fine too just listen to your own needs this time i have thoughts about what people should do if they're moving in or buying a place together without being married i don't I don't, it's not really that important to get into right now but drop a legal legal agreement just be like in the event that we split this person's going to value out this person or uh we will refinance and take the other person off and this person or we will evenly split the refinancing fees or we will lease the apartment together and both leave you know what i mean it actually is good to spell that out and there's a lot of resources for how you can do that and just protect yourself ladies like i don't know i just never want somebody being like kicked to the curb what if you don't have family in town or friends what if you just moved i just you know, watch out for yourself. Nobody ever moves in thinking they're going to break up. But trust me, that's it happens. And it's just like if you're spooked about the idea of an upfront contract as like a moving in together prenup almost, then you should be spooked by the concept of buying something together without being married. They, that's a lot more paperwork, your credits. I mean, you know, if I think people don't realize if some of these things that are like, that's uncomfortable, that's weird. It's like, if that's uncomfortable, maybe you shouldn't be entering into this thing so seriously. And I hope you're better off now. Don't let your family give you too hard of a time. I think you're a really nice person for letting you both get on your feet. It's not going to do anything to regret the situation. And just next time, you know, only think about yourself because all we can do is move forward, do better next time and agree that uh, this year is a giant dumpster fire and it just it just doesn't count. It just doesn't. So you know, men in black, weird laser pointer device. 2021 happens. Consider it erased from your memory. <laughs> Hi, Kate. It's Adrian. Love you so much. Um, I thought this would be a funny question to call in with. So I need, I want your advice on how to be a good neighbor. So my husband and I have a townhouse in Northern Virginia. And I, I swear I never talk to my neighbors. I know, I know one of their names. And that's because sometimes we get his mail. In contrast, my mother stayed with us during the pandemic for many, many, many weeks. Um, and by the end of it, she knew everybody in the whole neighborhood. She would talk to me as if I also knew everybody in the whole neighborhood. And I would be like, who? Who? Who are you talking about? Um, she'd be like, you know, that nice little couple down there with the with the little child, you know, whatever. So my question for you, I know you talk all the time about like kind of longing for the suburbs. So I think it would be funny to get your perspective on what I need to do to be a good neighbor. Okay, thanks. Love you. Oh, my gosh. Love you, too. That's Adrian. She is who recommended Provo is most eligible to me. Also a Facebook mod. Also of PowerPoint party fame of the conspiracy theory of Larry Stylinson. If you want to refer to a April or May <laughs> episode that's up on Patreon. I mean, oh my gosh, this is a great question, and I do have a lot of thoughts. Am I friends with my neighbors? No. Would I like to have a friend around? You betcha. Am I cautious to do that in case I find out we actually aren't compatible at all, and then I have to spend my entire life avoiding them like the plague in the halls, and then start to have to take the trash out, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, wear a disguise to take the dog out, I, you know, stressfully brush my teeth and put on mascara, going to the mailroom, like, it becomes a whole thing. I value my anonymity. I do not want to be stopped to talk to you for 10 minutes everywhere I go. The be there in five of it all. I'm always running behind. I always have 30 seconds until my Uber leaves. And I'm just not a person that wants to be stopped to chit chat. I'm not a person that like really likes chit chat, but I love chit chatting with people I know and love. But I think it's a, it comes down to an assessment of 
you it, it, well okay it's different in a city in a suburb for one i went straight from you know the burbs to the city after college and i've never been friends with any of my neighbors i've lived in like a a two flat or a three flat bottom was a dry cleaner second floor was me third floor was a woman i never saw for a year and a half not once <laughs> How weird is that? She didn't say hi to me either. Uh, or like we befriended kind of these younger girls that lived above Greg and I in our first place, but they turned out to be awful. And then it was uncomfortable that I then had to like kind of, you know, lay down the hammer. And they were just young and would come home blacked out at like three in the morning, would slam the doors. We were in like a graystone that was really old. One time they jammed the door and we could not get out of the apartment in the morning. Um, they would just like scream and get locked out and cry. And then they, but they were blacked out and wouldn't remember it. And they didn't know how bad it was. So anyway, it was just really uncomfortable. I felt anxious in my own home. They hated us. Uh, they would let their dog go to the bathroom and not pick it up in the backyard. That was technically part of our unit, you know, basic stuff. But it just was a little bit weird. Cause at first I think they thought we were cool, but then I just kept having to tell on them to the landlord because they weren't listening to me and it culminated with me throwing Greg like a really, you know, nice back, uh, uh, back to school. Why was I going to say that? <laughs> a graduation party when he got his MBA for his family. And uh, they decided to have a bunch of people over and play beer pong on the deck overlooking my nice dinner party for Greg's family and relatives. I was furious. Anyway, uh, I think it's pretty standard in the city. If you share walls, you're in a building, you're in tight quarters. I think it's pretty normal to not befriend your neighbors. It's different in a neighborhood. There's just less people. And I just think the vibes are friendlier. But I'd argue that's also my fear because I think a lot of times people just want to get all, all up in your business and figure out your vibe. And I'm not here for that. <laughs> my mom and sister are the most friendly people in the world. And the exact same thing would happen that happened to you where they would know everybody's life story. And then I'd feel uncomfortable because I've never asked. But what typically ha I'm friendly, uh, but I need to be prompted. I'm not going to start the conversation. And I also... It's it's one of those things where if a long enough time passes where neither of us introduces ourselves, I've now lived in this unit like a year and a few months. At this point, it's too weird to ask my next door neighbor her name. It's too it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Sometimes I look at their mail if it like really matters, but then I forget all over again because I don't run into them that often. And, uh, you know, can I hear their life story through the walls? Absolutely. But, you know, I don't think I need to have a personal relationship. Would I love to have somewhere to go if I get locked out or just have a friend nearby? Like, absolutely. And funny enough, I forget if I said this, but recently somebody went to their uh, like listener, Instagram follower, went to their lobby to get a HelloFresh box that their HelloFresh box, as you know, it's a sponsor of ours of the podcast and looked at the box and it said Kate Kennedy. And she was like, well, that's interesting. I don't know if she's my HelloFresh code, but I'm assuming and um, then asked me if I lived in this building. And I do indeed. And it's not a big building. And it was such a weird small world moment. And we, you know, text, but I need to still meet up with her in the courtyard for wine. And I'm very excited because even when there was a tornado passing through, I was like, hey, girl, I might need to come over <laughs> because I was worried because she's in a lower unit. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to have a friend because I want that's what I want. What I don't want is to uh, manufacture a friendship with people that aren't really you know, in my age range, life phase, don't we have no, you know, collective interests. Um, I don't you know what I mean, guys, like, I just feel like sometimes it's not worth it. But if I were in the suburbs, maybe I'd try. But I'd probably try to be one of those people that keeps everyone at arm's length at an ar at arm's length and is almost overly polite, but doesn't reveal much personal information about myself. 
and almost set up a situation. I feel like I kind of did this in my sorority where I show up enough to be a part of it, but I don't show up enough um, for them to count on me. So it's almost like, great, she came, but it's not like, ugh, she didn't come. She said she would, you know, you're not really. (laughs) I think sometimes I put up a bit of a wall when I need to like, I know I can't be at somebody's beck and call or I feel like something's too demanding of me. Um, so with HOAs and PTAs and all these boards that people have all this drama with, I just want to be well-liked and sparse. And, um, you know, then when I come around, it's a novelty. I think that's the best case scenario because also I, I do not want anybody, uh, outside of my new friend, of course, um, knowing like about the podcast or following me on Instagram. I don't want that for my life. I don't want them knowing anything about me because then it's just a little uncomfortable. Uh, but the biggest thing for me is probably just be being stopped on my way out if I'm honest. and. You know, if you're friendly and you've got people that you have common interests with, it's great. All everybody in this building is friends, but they're cons- they're you know twenty plus years older than me, and they never ask me questions either. I've tried to happy hour before, and they just do not seem interested. They never even ask my last name <laughs> or what I did, <laughs> which is great because I again would have said I'm an accountant. But can I just tell you, one of my friends moved to the suburbs. One of my friends from Chicago. She moved to the suburbs last year. One of her first days in the house, she gets a knock on her door. It's one of her neighbors. Her neighbor says, can I speak to the homeowner? And she's like, oh, I am the homeowner. Nice to meet you. And she makes me so mad. She goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I just thought because you were like in house clothes and like cleaning clothes that you were the housekeeper. Like puking, dying. I can't. That is the type of suburban snobbery that I, it makes me sick. I, I, I hate that sort of, I don't know. I just, I really hate classist stuff. I hate, I hate when people are snobby and condescending. And it's just, I, who talk? It's just so rude. And to say that after she said I'm the homeowner, like, and there's even more to the story I'm not even going to get into. But like, I just think about that often. And here's the problem. I'm not combative until I just like that. That is the case where I would have snapped. I'm not here for your manufactured caste system of new money and misery in suburban Michigan bullshit, lady. Like, do not talk to me like that. Do not dismiss me like that. Do not continue to insult me in what I'm wearing. We're peers, essentially, living on the same block with similar size homes. Actually, if anything, I'm the one who paid more because you bought it 20 years ago. <sighs> I just think that's so rude. And I just feel like I hear st- stories about suburban snobbery. And like, if you live in this section or think about the North Shore of Chicago and like all the judgment that just is, you know, based on what block you live on. It's so it's so dumb. It's so vapid. It's so sad. And I don't know. The second I'm on to somebody who seems to feed off of uh, making others feel inadequate for being in utterly the same situation they are, yet they somehow look down upon them for some reason or the other. I'm out. I'm snapping. I'm insulting. I won't talk to you. And, you know, Greg tries to get me to keep that at bay sometimes for the better. Um, But, you know, I just don't something about like the Stepfordy suburban housewife, the you know, condescending about stupid things, making me do stuff as a room mom, you know, sending overly detailed emails about the PTA, uh, talking bad about me to other moms because I didn't bring snacks to the soccer game. Like the, I'm not into the like I'm into being like a spectator of gossip in a suburban mom sitch. I wanted to do an episode of like power trips and PTA meetings and emails or HOAs or neighbor stories. I, I, I love people on an arbitrary power trip based on something that's utterly meaningless to the rest of the world. But in that particular microcosm, they think they are just the big man on campus and it's just embarrassing and funny. Uh, but yeah, I, mean, no, I don't have time to cut orange slices. It's just these are the things I just don't see myself ever doing. <laughs> Do we have time? Yes. Am I going to make time? No. My biggest fear in life is going to a youth soccer game on a Saturday. 
And I, moms, I know I, I, you are my heroes. I hope to be you one day. I hope to change my ways. But like youth sports, I just, it's like you want your kids to be athletic. I don't want, I don't want to go to, I feel so bad that my parents went to volleyball tournaments over like Easter weekend for a career that was stunned, ultimately stunted. I am so hopeful. My, I will have the girls, they will be dancers and therefore they will have great posture. They'll hold themselves well. They have a chance at TikTok stardom. I'm just kidding, kind of. And I love a dancer side of what can I say? Um, I love the TikToks that make fun of uh, dance competitions and they're like, here is Samantha Mumba, petite jazz. And it's like, like she like walks out with jazz fingers and has this token pose on a stool with a glittery hat. <laughs> that makes no sense verbally, but I never went to these competitions, but they sound funny and full of like tropes and cliches. And that to me, I like the arts. That's what I want. I don't want sports. I want the arts. Is that realistic? No. Um, but I had wonderful parents that attended absolutely everything, even my, you know, spelling bees I'd lose. So, you know, hopefully I'll pay it forward. Not the topic, but anyway, you guys. So TLDR, I think it's good to make friends with a couple people that you're close to, you can rely on, that you know you vibe with. I, I, I'd love to have close friend neighbors, especially if our kids are the same age or whatever. But I think you have to be careful because once you start to get close, if you realize like they're swingers or they're not for you for some reason, uh, or they're really gossipy and mean or whatever, um, you know, then it's kind of hard to backtrack. And then you're on somebody's bad side who knows too much about you and you're going to have to be uncomfortable in your own home, avoiding them constantly. That's what I don't want. I don't want discomfort in my own home by being stopped when I'm running late or don't want to talk and or don't feel presentable enough. I do not want people knocking on my door ever because I won't answer. I, I think in any context, that's just like high alert for for robbery and murderers. And I just don't answer doors. Even the census guys. I'm like, you're in costume. You're going to kill me. No, never open the door, guys. Uh, you don't you don't need to unless they've called you first. It, they should have an ab ability to contact you another way. Uh, you know, I know neighbors mean well, but they can leave the pie on the porch. I'll give them a call. Mm, I'll text them. Uh, I'm a monster. <laughs> Somebody, one of my recent reviews was like, this is, she's a pseudo intellectual narcissist. I don't know, something like that. And then I laughed because I looked up and I have this huge like 18 by 30 poster of myself from my Caroline show. And I, and I was like, you know what? A person that talks to themselves for two hours, like, yeah, I mean, I, if Enneagram fours are a bit self-absorbed to begin with, do I think I'm a clinical narcissist? No, but I understand how if you don't want to hear me talking for that long, you know, it might seem like, Jesus, she's really into what she's saying, but it's my job. This is just, <laughs> this is the podcast. But anyway, I, I maybe agree with her now that I'm talking about how rude I'd be to my neighbors, but I promise I'm fun if we're like friends and I'm going to be friends with my new listener and follower friend. I'm so excited to have wine together. That's what I mean. It's like, I just don't think I've ever lived with people that are in my specific life phase. And so we've never really clicked. But um, long story short, I'm going to put out more effort. I sh should probably never move to the suburbs. Um, I would love to verbally accost people in the PTA. I think that would be fun uh, because I can't get over sometimes how antiquated and, uh, you know, I just I can't believe the things people allow themselves to care about. <laughs> And how mean they are to people in the process and these power trips. And they just, I don't know, if you ever want to email me a power trip, subject line power trip podcast to be there in five.com. I have a handful of stories, but I do need more. But the problem is they're kind of long threads or they require a lot of context. I wasn't sure if it really worked for an episode, but you know, I live for a scathing email about a topic that is utterly unimportant 
or uh, somebody who is going way overkill for a school event in an elementary school. I mean, that's my absolute favorite. And the thing is, I don't want to hate, too, because I think a lot of times really talented women that, you know, for one reason or the other, especially now, if you had to give up your job for some reason, like you want to it's great to channel your energy into stuff for your kids at the school. And I'm so all for that, as long as you're nice and understanding that every mom's in a different situation, you know. Anyway, you guys, moving on. Our next sponsor is a company called Candid. I'm so excited. This is a new advertiser. As I've talked about, guys, it just doesn't feel like there's a ton to smile about these days. Um, you know, especially given that I lost my top retainer and my teeth are uh, growing more crooked by the day. I'm excited to be partnering with Candid because Candid Clear aligners are comfortable, removable, and totally invisible, unlike wire braces. You can transform your smile without anyone noticing. Plus, your treatment is prescribed and monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. And Candid only works with orthodontists, never general dentists like a lot of other companies do. And, um, you know, with some of the other companies, if you will, you may literally never hear from a doctor as you go through treatment. And that's insane. Uh, we, we, we want to make our smiles as, as beautiful and megawatt as possible, but not at the risk of something happening to your teeth. I mean... your teeth are such an important asset and you need to take good care of them and i think that this is a really great company that actually does remote monitoring and they legitimately care about making sure your uh aligners and the process is working for you and your mouth and your treatment includes remote monitoring by the same orthodontist who created your plan so you never have to wonder how you're doing you will always know and i love that and the average candid treatment is about six months, and you'll start seeing results way before then. It costs an average 50% less than Invisalign, just a heads up. And I don't know, I, I was kind of like, I bet a lot of listeners like me have lost retainers, kind of dropped, dropped the ball with their teeth over the years. And like, I don't, my parents spent, you know, so much on orthodontia. I, it's really my fault. I want to take care of my teeth and have them be as straight as possible. But I want to do it safely. I want to do it affordably. And more than that, I want to do it in a reasonable time frame, unlike my many years of braces earlier in life. So if you are ready to take the first step towards your dream smile, get started today from the comfort of your own home with Candid's risk-free starter kit and $75 off. Go to candidco.com, candidco.com, slash be there in five, and use code be there in five. That's candidco.com, slash be there in five, code be there in five, just how the show is spelled, for your risk-free starter kit and $75 off candidco.com slash be there in five code be there in five i will take you along on my journey you i think people don't realize how crooked my front teeth are because they probably use a good angle but they are and it's really bothering me and i'm really excited for this sponsor hey kate so i would love your advice my name is leah i'm 23 so i currently live in birmingham alabama i moved here last summer after I graduated from college, got my first job. I've been here for a year so far and I've really loved it, but I think I'm ready to move on to a bigger city. A lot of my college friends are here. A lot of them are starting to kind of couple up and marry off and it's just great for them, but I'm not ready to really like place down rates or anything yet. And that's, you know, I want to leave the party while it's still fun. I don't want to leave the party when I'm the last one, last single one there. So I would just love your advice on how to pick what city to move to. I think I'm interested like in a New York or Chicago or something like that. But I grew up in Nashville. I live in Birmingham. So I've really only been in mid-sized cities for the rest of my life. So I would just love any advice or tips or your experience living in a bigger city and how you chose 
which city to go to and where to live and where to settle on. Love you so much. Love the pod. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you for listening slash calling slash caring for living, laughing, loving and lurking with me. I am so appreciative of you guys. And you entrust me with such life advice. I feel like the voicemails these days are a lot more like actual life advice and less pop culture stuff. But like, I'm here for it. If you guys are, I just, I don't know if you come here to like talk about more lighthearted things, but I kind of like these questions because I actually think they're pretty universal to the experience of somebody, you know, in their twenties or thirties trying to, trying to navigate what to do next. I have moved around a lot. That program after my, um, after college, Moved me to New York, San Francisco, Chicago. Um, it was like a, it, it was a very similar thing. I moved from Blacksburg, Virginia, to the big city, and did not know what to expect at all. And I have a lot of thoughts because, depending on the city, uh, it really dictated my experience. And I, I learned a lot about um, what what really matters in terms of your own personal satisfaction and quality of life. And beyond that, how a city is honestly only as fun as the fun time you're having in that city and has very little to do with the actual city itself. Let me explain. Before I get into that, I there, there's three. So I think you need to consider first your physiological needs as it relates to a location or not physiological, but the, the nuts and bolts. I think you, that you need to be in alignment with our weather. Uh, if, you, if you can't live, like if you can't stand the cold, you can't live in Chicago, but you could probably handle in New York. It's a different type of cold. Um, you know, climate weather, I do think is important for a lot of people. Secondly, I think that it's important to consider proximity to family and friends. Uh, it is different to be on a plane ride from family and friends than driving. And just, you know, depending on what your needs are, even though I think it's fine and the time is actually more quality sometimes when you do live out of town, because then you spend more concentrated amount of times with friends and family from home. But situations like this pandemic have made me realize, wow, this is awful. Wish I wasn't a 15 hour drive from my family. I don't want to have a family and still be 15 hours away from them. So that is worth considering. But at this point in your life, I think if you're I gather you're in like what your mid 20s. Yeah, you should be full on like Ralph Waldo Emerson, explore, dream, discover, weird sailboat quote. You know, I, I think that was a really popular yearbook quote, explore, period, dream, period, discover, period. Kind of wonder if that punctuation was like the explore. No, explore, dream, discover. You know what I mean? Like the clap, clap emphases of today. Lastly, perhaps most importantly, cost of living. Their salaries are largely location-based and can really vary based on market. To go from a Birmingham to New York, I'd imagine you'd need to be like paying quintuple rent. Like, you know, I, I think that it's just, it, it is what it is with big cities, but there's a lot of municipal benefits to living in a city uh the, from the public transit the convenience the walking i mean a lot makes it worth it if you're a city person i i personally have always felt it was worth it until 2020 but let's assume things bounce back uh i think that you need to be prepared to ask for way more than you probably think you need and somewhere you'll negotiate in the middle and it'll come down and hopefully we'll still exceed what you're making now and be more aligned with cost of living and do research on that you employers can't call your last employer and ask what your salary was. I'm 99% sure. I feel like I know enough people in HR that have told me that. And it's not that you're lying, but you need to uh, like adjust, almost do like a percentage adjustment based on cost of living uh, to the amount you make now and ask for more than that. So the negotiation comes out with where you need it and just budget, budget really carefully because I do think it's hard to live one way, one place and live another way, another place and have it be that stark. And while you'll make some sacrifices, I think the benefits do outweigh them. But you don't want to be like barely getting by. You know what I mean? The next thing I want you to consider. OK, so we have our, our cost of living. 
Uh, do you, how close do you need to be to family or friends? And does the weather align with your needs? Uh, the next thing I would say is that it is a lot harder to arbitrarily pick a city first and then find a job there and go there. And the reason you're there is kind of like your just own random decision because you wanted to live somewhere new. I think it is far better to cast a wide net to apply to jobs and to network. You know, do that thing where you export on LinkedIn. Everyone from your alma mater in a particular place, see where they work, reach out, cast a wide net, pick a handful of cities that you'd be perfectly happy in. So you think if you don't have one in mind, instead of me tell you where to live, I would cast that net and let where I live pick me through the ideal job. Because ideally what happens is you get a job that's either a great lateral move, a great promotion, a great industry shift that meets uh, some criteria of you wanting to uh, progress in your career. And it allows you to relocate or move even better if they will pay to relocate you. And what that does is it anchors you to a location with more than just your own random free will in the event you don't like it or it's not right for you. You won't regret it because it actually there was a really clear reason you went there and chose that. And I, I know that sounds kind of silly, but I do think it matters. Like there's no reason for me to live in Chicago other than my husband's job. But he, he likes his job. He's a good job. I want him to keep it. So that's why we're here. Otherwise, I would be going crazy living here because I would want to live closer to my family. But for some reason, because of that, like I'm OK with it. We have a purpose. And I just kind of think it helps if you um, kind of let another factor push you to move somewhere and kind of select it for you. I think that can um, really help nudge you in the right direction and not maybe be just kind of applying to any and all jobs in a certain location because you're prioritizing the location. I guess what I'm saying is prioritize the job over the location, but have a subset of locations you'd be equally happy to move to to change it up. Looking back on living in three different cities in the course of like two years, it's so funny because um, I think I've said this before, I, you know, I, I, I had a lot of I loved high school, had to be pride with the jaws of life. College, I had some high highs and some low lows. I feel like somewhere along the way, I never, everyone else like knew who they were and wanted to be. I felt a little bit like I didn't know. Like I just, I felt like somewhere and trying to, the cliche of, you know, stop trying to find yourself. You need to create yourself. I was just kind of like blindly following people, feeling inadequate. I, I really just didn't know what was out there for me. And I'm kind of emotional and intense. And I just feel like, I don't know. I got a little bit lost in college and sad. And um, I what I knew I needed to do is kind of shed myself of, of a this predefined context that already told everybody who I was based on my affiliation, my sorority, my hometown, you know, major, whatever it is, or the fact that every dude around me friends owned me. I just felt defined by so many things that weren't the best version of me because every Everyone around me knew me from like home, from high school. So many people from Virginia go to Virginia Tech, obviously, and uh, from my high school, I mean, um, and I don't know. And I love my sorority sisters so much, but I just never felt like as I don't know. They're all so beautiful and accomplished and smart and cool. And I just always felt kind of like not the I don't know. I just didn't feel great about myself. And I think I needed a reinvention. I needed the independence. I needed to, to take a chance, make a change and break away, which I want you to do, too. And I think it's important when other people around you are settling down or seem so sure of their path. And you're like, I don't know. I think I want something more. I want something else. Uh, you should do it. You should marry Tyler Moore it up. You should take your shot and go, you know, experience the independence you're pretty sure you want. And if And if it doesn't work out, at least you tried it. At least you're not in the same place for years and years wishing you had moved when you were more mobile or younger or whatever. So I do think this is the time. And I don't think there's one particular city you should definitely move to. I think that 
the things I mentioned earlier are going to relate to how much fun you're having and your quality of life there. I think having a job to anchor you is really great. Um, And I think, too, the beauty of going somewhere where you don't know a lot of people, there's two sides to this. One is what I was just saying. It allows you to shed yourself of a context. It allows you to kind of figure out who you are when nobody else is telling you who you are. And it lets you avoid that thing that can happen in hometowns where you want to change and you want to evolve, but people almost don't let you. Um, And I felt this way when I moved to New York. In college, I just was like, oh, my God, everybody loves football games. I'm so bored. (laughs) I want to be doing something else. And I I know I've said this before, and this is so cheesy, but I mean this wholeheartedly. I have this very vivid sensory memory. Like I can feel it in my chest. My stomach's fluttering. Um, I had my headphones in with my iPod. Uh, I was listening to Empire State of Mind. I was walking down Lexington Avenue with the Chrysler building in plain sight, just like Sex in the City, (laughs) because I just gotten my tonsils out and watched the entire series to pass the time. And I just I had this thought that like just will forever stick with me in life. And I was like, this is my football game. I was born to be an adult. This is fun. This is living. I love having a salary. I love going to happy hours with coworkers. I loved my coworkers. I loved meeting women all over from all corners of the country that came to this company and taught me about everything they know. I, I it was not a homogenous environment, which I feel like up until that point, I'd lived in fairly homogenous environments. I just learned a lot. I got to be who I was just fundamentally, not feel weird about it. And this is where I met Greg. I just could not have, it could not have been more life-changing, important, and pivotal. And that's an example of not having friends somewhere. Well, I knew my roommates, but we weren't friends when we moved in together. Of not knowing people and it working out. But I was in a, in a job with a program where they bring in all these people that are the same age as you. So I kind of had a built-in friend system. And this is what I mean about the flip side of that. Then I look at like a San Francisco. The novelty wore off of me moving around. I was kind of sick of moving around at this point. San Francisco's awesome. People love it. Um, I hated it. And it has when I look back on it, it has nothing to do with the city. It's just I I just didn't like the job I had there. I um didn't really vibe with like kind of the snobbery of like Silicon Valley startup y talk. Um I didn't I even actually had one close friend there, but I didn't really know anybody else and I just felt like lost and sad and dreary and in my head i'm like yeah san francisco sucks it doesn't suck it's great i just had like a lot going on personally when i was there and that's what i mean by you're only the city's only as fun as the fun time you're having because people be like i love prague but like if somebody stole your person prague you're gonna be like that place sucks and has nothing to do with prague surroundings so i think that the surroundings the monuments the museums the beauty of a city is certainly stimulating and it will take you to a point. But when that novelty fades and when it becomes your new normal to live in a really exciting place, what do you need to have a high quality of life? Probably people, probably relationships and friends. I just want to warn you, it is hard to make friends as an adult. I would suggest you move somewhere where you at least know a couple people, or at least one, and or you're moving somewhere with a job where you know there's a lot of people your age and you'll have an office life. Like moving somewhere where you'll work from home, I think would be horribly isolating, um, even though we're in a more remote world. Um, I just people are actively I, in Chicago, at least people have been friends. They, they're, they're in friend groups that like have names that they developed in their wood paneled basement somewhere in the Midwest in the 90s. And like they never break out of the group and they are not recruiting new members. And it's just hard to penetrate friend groups. Um, and I've lived here for a while and I've had trouble making really close friends, not because I don't want them or I'm weird or because of all the neighbor things I said earlier that were off putting. Uh, but because I think when people have time and, you know, things that spoon feed that companionship in college and high school and sports, you know, friends are served up to you on a silver platter. 
in adulthood, you have to actively put effort and make friends and be like, it's almost like dating a, a version of yourself that is 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 likable and not too aggressive. And I mean, I just laugh at all the thought I've put into girl dates. But people are so busy and have lives and families and spouses that it's impossible to get together on a consistent enough basis to where you get close. As I've talked about before, dressing room close, the, the ideal. Um, so even if you're friendly, like my sister who lived in Chicago for a year, she was like, it is so hard to make friends here. I was like, right? Like, I'm not a monster. I just really, you know, you get invited to someplace once or twice. People kind of forget about you. And just recently, thank God to my Taylor Swift crew, the bitch pack, the lyric crew, who've been so kind and in inviting me to things more. Um, but anyway, I don't know. I guess all that to say, I want you to focus less on the city itself and more on making a list of the places that have the baseline criteria that you need to have a high quality of life, have a job that makes the move and all of the effort worth it. If you can know a couple people, that's great. If you don't, that's okay. And you might meet people at work and you might figure it out. And you might be way better at making friends than I am. But I just want to manage your expectations because I think some people move somewhere and have really big expectations and really don't realize that all of their friends are products of like uh, their upbringing or people they've already known. And you just didn't have to try that hard to make them. And when you try, you're like, oh, God, this is uncomfortable. (laughs) But uh, Chicago, I, I chose here out of all three cities because it's the cost of living is the most reasonable. I found the people to be nicest, even if they won't let me in their friend group. Um, and it had all of the fun city things that made me feel alive and stimulated me in the same way New York does, where I can go take my laptop to like a bar and work and drink wine. And it's not weird. You know, I wouldn't feel as comfortable doing that as a cheesecake factory, though. I am often taken with the, you know, sensible hybrid decor of, you know, it's a slightly Egyptian, slightly Tuscan, maybe some like Russian damask prints. I don't really know what they're going for there, but I'm here for a deep booth and a brown bread loaf. And, uh, I just don't know if that would fly in the suburbs. And if, you know, the Karens that make me feel inadequate in my neighborhood would be like, oh, God, she, she saw her knocking back a few at the factory. Like, geez, the doormat biz must not be going well. I just can see it now. Wait, I did I say earlier that I really liked Made in Mexico, that show on Netflix when I was talking about reality shows? If I didn't, I meant to. I loved that. And I wanted to come back for a second season. And it had a character named Chantal from House of DVF, another weird reality show that I did not hate watching. Um remember hannah beth won that i know i've talked about that before she's like a scene queen like uh jeffree star and jack vanek um i just think it's funny because they did not go with the best candidate they went with like the cool girl that everyone like wants you to like her and um the person with the biggest social media following obviously <laughs> that's all anybody cares about uh but i love a crossover so yeah chantal was on made in mexico it's just like cameron was on southern charming and real world just like one girl from the sisterhood becoming nuns apparently was on run's house on vh1 you know we're here for a crossover what is the thing everybody's saying now love to see it i feel like people say that all the time and i'm like where did this come from it's very it's kind of that one's on its way out whereas like the phrase i talked about last week the it's the unfriendly neighbor for me uh i feel like it's kind of i don't know how long it'll stay i'm trying to stay up with the colloquialisms but failing miserably all right next question Hi, Kate. This is Kelly from North Carolina. Um, I'm actually not calling in with a question, but I just want to take a moment to thank you. Uh, back in the beginning of July, you shared some advice with me that has made a marked impact on my life. Um, uh, back at the beginning of July, you opened up your Instagram stories for questions, and I submitted one, you know, not thinking that you'd reply. Uh, but sure enough, you did. And my question uh, was in regards 
you know, your opinion on whether or not I should continue in a relationship where my long-term boyfriend uh, didn't know if he wanted to marry me or not. And uh, that that was something I've been grappling with all throughout the pandemic, whether or not to end the relationship, to move forward. It was it was a tough time. And after receiving your advice, um, you know, to only really be with someone unless, you know, if they can't believe they're yours, that the answer to that question is hell yes. Um, I decided to end that relationship. And, you know, just hearing that from a third party, someone who doesn't know me or him or the relationship or the situation, it really just was kind of a wake-up call. And for a long time, I was really scared of what life would look like on the other side of a breakup with this person. And I have to say, a month after the breakup, I'm feeling fantastic. I've never been better. You know, I'm excited planning for the future, moving back out to Texas where I grew up. I'm so excited for that. So I just wanted to call and thank you for that. Um, it really made a big impact on me, and I really love how on your podcast you cover topics about uh, relationships and uh, marriage and whatnot and the pressures that women in our society face in regards to that. Um, I know you've received some great other questions on Kate Lila episodes about that, and even though I don't have one to offer here, um, I just wanted to say thank you. I hope you're able to listen to this, but uh, just keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome, and just appreciate everything you do. Thanks. That is so, I, I just had to pause for a second. That may be misty. Um, <clears throat> thank you, first of all, for calling in and saying that. I don't know if I've gotten a thank you voicemail. That meant a lot to me. Um, but beyond that, I'm really, more so than my advice, uh, swaying you. I'm just glad you had the strength to make the right decision for you. And like I said earlier, uh, to the person who called about the housing situation with their ex, like, I just think we need to give ourselves so much credit. Uh, like when we get out of the wrong relationship, I think people spend so much time uh, analyzing if it was like a waste of time, regretting it, saying they should have known better, ended it earlier, whatever. And it's just not important. What's important is you hedging your bets on yourself on meeting somebody who's right for you on not sliding into marrying the person who's there around the time other people are getting married on believing in your heart of hearts that you deserve to live a life in a partnership with a person that realizes how lucky they are to have you and isn't just there by default or isn't there by your own convert like coercion or ultimatum um <clears throat> she said a month and as i was going through i was scrolling I wanted to remember what I said because I wouldn't keep this in here just to flatter myself. But um, I was like, oh, well, if this is helpful, I'll just read it to somebody else. If anybody else is in this situation, the question was, should I break up with my BF of three years? He doesn't know if he wants to marry me in our late 20s. And I said, to be honest, probably somebody shouldn't slide into marrying you. They should decide to marry you without pressure, ultimatums or strings. Life is short and you are awesome. And somebody out there is dying to meet someone like you. I think it's fine if you don't know if someone is the one right away. But I do not respect people who burden their partners with their own indecisiveness, as if you need to be running a small campaign to become their wife. Don't marry someone that you have to convince. Marry a guy that can't believe you are his. Probably just said the last part because I liked the rhyme. But truly, I really believe uh, it makes me sad when people are like campaigning to uh, have people stay with them, to be their wife, to get proposed to. It's like you shouldn't have to fake an ounce of your being. You shouldn't have to. Um, feel like you're in an imbalanced situation where one person's more into it than the other. And I, 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 there's so many people out there that just want to find the right person that, you know, look, look, 
or, you know, the world up and down trying to find someone they're compatible with. And just like anything in life, you just everything great that's ever happened are things like I didn't imagine in advance or it never was exactly what I thought it would be like. And I even though like the just around the corner thing is so annoying and that's not what I mean. I guess what I mean is like just when you think there's like nobody out there for you, um, you have to realize you're a garbage statistician who is using a wholly unrepresentative sample size for you to have a statistically significant hypothesis that you, in fact, are undateable, aren't going to meet anybody, aren't going to marry anybody. There's no guys out there. There's no guys on the apps. There's no guys in this city. All of those statements are not only uh, logical fallacies, they also are things that you do for you say for self-preservation or that over time one too many bad experiences kind of makes you feel uh, jaded and makes you feel very pessimistic about the entire operation therefore you project all of your bad experiences prevent preventing yourself from uh, opening yourself up at times so i think what are good ones and while you know for every 99 god-awful dates you know, you only need one partner. I mean, unless you're into something else, which is cool, too. Uh, and I think that it's like funny because I know I know the exhaustion of dating and like I can't even pretend to understand it in this era with apps because I was never on them. But when uh, my good friend Marissa, who's recently engaged, who I love very much, and I'm very happy for, she always talks about how like people want it to be this like really romantic um you know, stars align type of story, but she lives in New York and went on so many dates. She was like, it's kind of a numbers game. Like you like you date and you meet a bunch of people you don't like. But that's the point is you don't like them until you meet one that you do. And it wouldn't be a case of trying to narrow things down and find a partner if you liked literally everybody you went out with. Like that that's what dating is like. You don't like anybody and then you find the right person and you're timing your values your interests, there's the attraction, like you find all these mutual things you need. And there's just no accurate way to predict or project or say this will or will not happen in this time frame, in this location, you know, amongst this group of people. And I just even though you're totally entitled to be negative, you're totally entitled to feel frustrated by your experience, take a break, take care of yourself, whatever you need. Just be mindful of telling yourself lies like that, of writing the fiction in your head of how you are so certain of your own fate when if you look back on your life, I guarantee you where you're standing right now would never have been a product of your own active decision making. Should could you have been able to control every single movement? Um, so don't lose hope that you'll find somebody better. Never stay in a relationship because you're worried you won't find somebody better. And I really genuinely believe that, you know, even though I'm, I'm skeptical about a lot of uh, spiritual universe-based things that yeah, allow us to further, you know, lean into our own entitlements and privilege. I do believe that people that make the right decisions for themselves are ultimately rewarded. And only in the sense of, I think that it opens you up to the experiences you actively want and you actually cho actively choose and forces you out of the situations you're in that you're too scared to get away from. Staying in something because you're fearful is not a way to live. Staying in something because you don't feel like moving is not a way to live. Staying in something because it just seems like too hard to break up and you have the same mutual friends and disentangling your lives sounds like a lot of work to just like kind of floating along in an okay relationship, you know? When it comes to emotions, relationships, the things that give your life quality, uh, your greatest fear should be apathy. Your greatest fear should be indifference. And I think that uh, we just, yeah, gotta, gotta, you know, 
check the pulse now and again of like, why am I here? Do I want to be here? Am I here for the right reasons? Am I here because everyone around me is getting married and I don't want to fall behind? Like, there's just no such thing. We, we're holding ourselves to these arbitrary yardsticks that have no meaning other than, yeah, I guess your fertility, but whatever, you'll figure it out. Caller, I'm so proud of you. I feel like I, it's nice of you to give me credit, but I think you already did what you knew you were going to do. And uh, as a recovering, uh, needlessly polite person at the expense of my own honesty, I just, I, I just, I know I've been in a relationship for a while, but I, I deeply, deeply understand how some, how easy it is to not be honest with yourself, uh, and to let a lot of noise creep in and to not prioritize yourself, especially when it becomes habitual. And I just never want you guys to do that. I really need to just like give more fun, quippy, quick responses. Like, yes, queen, fries before guys, go eat snack foods and hit the town. <sighs> Someday. I don't know. I, I, I've never I've never been. A, what's the word? A woo girl. I want to be a woo girl like for a week. Like, I, you know, I've said before, like, I don't really like woo ow, at like concerts or crowds, school assemblies. Uh, and I also feel like I don't I give like advice. that's a little too intense and I should just be a little bit more lighthearted and fun. But what are you going to do? Hey, hey, longtime listener, first time caller. Love you. Love your work. Um, I'm going to leave my name off because I'm calling about um, something really personal. I'm calling about my sister. So um, long story short, I haven't really had much of a relationship with her as an adult. Um, she's only one year younger than me, and I was the bossy older sister growing up. And even now at 31 and 30, she harbors a lot of hate and resentment towards me because of it. And um, and so it's been that way, which is, which is fine, but um, she has two young sons, my nephews I love, and um, I've recently in the last year moved closer to home, um, and that decision was to be close to them and, um, you know, to be a, a really present aunt and a present person in their lives, and I have been for that time, but um, my sister, let's call her Betty, <laughs> um, Betty has made it very clear to me that she doesn't want a relationship with me, and she's been very, very mean and very spiteful towards me, and um, the few interactions that we do have face to face have I've walked away very hurt and um it just has it's been uh, a lot of therapy over the last year trying to get to a point of acceptance about that, you know, knowing that um someone who I would love to have a relationship with doesn't want one with me. Um and she's been going through some personal matters in the last six months and we're we're all worried about her and so um i would just love to know a little bit of, of, about your thoughts on how to toe that line of acceptance with just getting through your own personal personal pain around um someone like i mentioned who doesn't want a relationship even though that's something you so deeply want how to accept that how to respect that how to come to terms with it while also towing that line of being present being you know, being there, being the best aunt that I can be, um, but also, you know, kind of accepting that I can't control how someone in my life feels about me. And it's very deep, but you're a deep person, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much. Love you. Bye. Oh my goodness. Well, love you too. And I'm sorry you're going through this. And this is anything with family estrangement is near impossible because it's one thing to be kind of iced out by a friend, but I think with, um, I'm sorry, I can't never not say family because of Caroline Manzo. With your family, um, 
No, I think when you when blood's involved, there's a confusing nature of like your interpersonal relationship that just has to do with your interactions, your dynamics, your personality. But then the um, attachment and longing uh, and, you know, deep, deep, indispensable care you have for a person in your family, independent of your relationship. And okay, well, you've been in therapy for a year, so you're going to know everything I'm going to say. I'll probably I'm going to give you. I guess, top line, maybe unhelpful advice. uh, But in case anybody else is in this situation, I'll tell you what I think. First of all, I don't want you to think that I think you did anything wrong, even though I'm going to make it sound like you're the one that needs to take accountability, because I think in these situations, the most important thing is that it's not about you. It is not about you, what you did, and it's not about your intentions, but it is about how they were received. And the only truth here isn't what you meant. It's not what you said and it's not what you did. The only if you, if you want to mend this relationship, you almost have to treat the truth as your sister's experience. And I'm sure you've done all of this, but I do think that, like, it's so hurtful to feel rejected. It's so hard to feel misunderstood And I think when these sorts of um, tense relationships start to come to the surface, your instinct is going to be to defend yourself. Your instinct is going to be to try and like rewrite history in a sense or to over explain yourself. Your focus is going to be, well, you were hurt by me. So let me tell you what I meant when really in dismissing their experience and dismissing their version of the truth, you're almost ironically proving to be the person they're saying you are by dismissing their experience in favor of aligning yours as the truth. Does that make sense? And I think that, well, you might be right. It doesn't matter because this right doesn't really exist in this sort of situation. It's the three sides to the story cliche of your version, my version, and the truth. And um, I think depending on personality, I think depending on dynamic, I think depending on how long this is built up over time, um, one person's going to be hypersensitive or have a higher propensity to be damaged uh, by their version and in a way that the other person maybe can't see without living in their experience, without having the duration of what they perceive to be mistreatment. Um, And I just think there's it's a complicated thing where I'm sure at first you were mourning the loss of your relationship. I don't know how you responded to it. It sounds like you've done everything you can. And if she won't go to therapy with you, if she's completely iced you out, it's it's horrible like it's 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 life altering obviously you love her very much and i i know your therapist is teaching you how to accept it and i'm not saying this as to like reopen a wound because i think part of this is of um the acceptance is that is the respectful thing to do for somebody that has drawn this kind of boundary if you're trying to make the relationship better you actually like need to respect the boundary however um I really do. I don't know enough about the situation and I'm sure you're wonderful. And again, this doesn't necessarily need to be true, but you have to perceive it this way. I think for somebody to go that far and ice out family to it's not desirable to cut people out. It's hard for the person doing it, too, usually. And for it to have to go to this extreme. You have to own that you did something to hurt her dismiss her, betray her, belittle her, bully her, whatever. I, I, again, I don't really know. I understand sister dynamics, especially close in age, can be really complicated, especially if you're very different people. 
But I think that sometimes the hardest thing is being like, it doesn't matter what I meant, but clearly I hurt you. And clearly I hurt you enough where you think you're better off without me in your life. And it's a hard pill to swallow because I'm sure you did not realize it was happening at the time. And I actually have a huge issue with people being mad at people for things they don't know they did. And I think that relationships go two ways and there have to be open lines of communication. And it's one thing if your sister was telling you all like this whole time and you weren't listening, but it's a whole other thing. Like nothing, I, nothing I, I find more disrespectful than letting things bubble up and internalizing all the reasons you're mad or don't like somebody. And then when you hit your breaking point, you take it out on that person, but they're just getting caught up, you know? You, you need to give people a chance in a reciprocal relationship to uh, respond to the things that aren't working for you. And if you don't give them that chance, I don't think you deserve to cut them out, like outright, you know? But if they're not listening, if they're not hearing you, if they continue the hurtful behavior, I get it. Um, the flip side of that, I would say, that's important to keep in mind is that if you've done everything you can, you've been to therapy, you've owned it, you've said the door's always open, I respect your boundary, I want what's best for you and the kids. I'm sure you did all the right things. And if if you and those around you, your family, like if other people are like, well, A, if it's a pattern and they've done it before to other people, and this is just a, a knee-jerk response, they have to cut people out instead of process emotions. And or if it seems to defy logic why they'd be this mad at you and other people around you that understand the situation agree, you have to factor in a mental health piece. And I actually think that oftentimes this is what it is. And um when people are driven mad by trying to process a complicated relationship or a falling out with logic, they ignore that some people are, are completely wired differently in how they receive information. Some people are going really going through it and are, have chemical differences in how they are, you know, enduring certain situations and how they process your reactions to them. Some people hold grudges like remarkably long and vividly, more so than others. There are so many different, you know, anxiety disorders, personality disorders, um, you know, like when you're going through a depressive episode, like I don't I, I have no I'm not going to diagnose. and I'm not you know, I'm not in a clinical position to do this for anybody. But I always want people to remember that, like a lot more people suffer from mental health issues than, you know, a lot of people suffer from mental health issues that they don't even know. And when that's the case, you almost have to find solace in the fact that again it's still not about you and any logic you're going to apply isn't going to work because you're not in their shoes you're not in their head you don't understand their experience and you pushing and prying can possibly make it worse and i think that's just a hard thing to accept especially with a family member if there's the potential for this person to be suffering and therefore um really i don't know perceiving the entire world differently than you and uh, it's something you might not they not be, may be able to communicate and you can't understand unless you've lived it. So anyways, all that to say, I, I think this. I think this just really can be the, one of those two things, like either you really don't understand the depth and the duration of, of the hurt you inflicted upon somebody and the importance of acknowledging your part in it, of listening and not explaining, of telling them the door is always open, but you respect their boundary. You have to swallow your pride and any and all interest. Like if you want to fix this and they're the person in the position of control or, they, they, you know, your relationship's fate lies in their hands. If you care more about your sister than you do your own pride, it's just like, yeah, 
anytime you talk, you've just got to listen. You've just got to say, you're right. I hurt you. I acknowledge my role in this. I am so sorry. You know, I think it's important to explain how you've been to therapy, explain how you've evolved. I think you can almost use that as a way to open back up the door in in terms of like, I really did not understand this earlier. And I am sorry I reacted and I didn't respond. And I focused on defending myself, therefore proving to you the person you always were saying I was. I've been working on myself. I've been to therapy. I've been doing so much self-discovery because I am so I am so distraught that I hurt you and couldn't have known it. And I want to open the lines of communication. I want to be able to talk again. But beyond that, don't talk, just listen. And if you're going to talk, ask questions. People know you care with curiosity. You know how in anything in life, it's small talk or big talk. When nobody asks you questions, they, they don't give a shit. Like that you're, you'd so become so transparent that they're not interested in you and your life. And I also think, too, sometimes when people are going through a lot, you don't ask a lot about it because you don't want to bring it up or bother them. But I think sometimes you really need to. And that can you know be something people hold against you. I don't really know. Um, so I think it's yeah a matter of, of ownership and, you know, communicating how your own self-development has helped you understand that, um, you know, you hurt them in some way and or see if you can open up the lines of communication. But if not, remind them that you'll absolutely always be there and the door is always open. Uh, or secondly, you know, I think that more often than not, if like nothing's happening, nothing's working, um, there is a chance for somebody to be suffering from something mental health wise and that you just have to be patient with give it time, let them process, you know, you obviously you want to make sure they're safe and okay. Um, you don't want to like armchair diagnose them by any stretch. But I guess what I mean by saying that is, I just think it's important for us all to give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I think we take everything so personally. And like life is hard and people go through stuff. And we just forget that it's just people are pay- paying a lot less attention to us than we think. And I don't know, it just... I think always, you know, really putting first, like this has nothing to do with me. If if somebody's response to you seems disproportionate uh, and that can either mean you aren't involved in it or didn't contribute and they're in a bad mood or I see you out for like some other reason or the other definition, as I said, being it has nothing to do with me because I can't control other people. And my side of the story in point of view does is irrelevant because it does not change their experience. Like we just have to remember that, like stop thinking about yourself if you're trying to mend a relationship that means a lot to you. Because I think sometimes the person who is not in pain needs to swallow their pride and like take accountability and be the one that's kind of forging it. But when that boundary is hard and fast and there is absolutely no interest there, like there's not a lot you can do. And I and all of that might be irrelevant because that might be where you are now. And I know your therapist is helping you to accept it. So I don't want to make it worse by telling you to like rehash anything. I guess I'm just affirming like, I think this can happen. I think that sisters really close in age. It's not unheard of. Um, and a lot of times it's so crazy how you can be family members, but have nothing in common and have such different personalities. And it's uh, Kelly and I often talk about like we describe two different sets of parents. We're four years apart and the oldest experience is different from the youngest. Greg has three younger sisters. His experience was so different than his sisters. Like, uh, because parents of all too, parents are people, you know, like every, the way everyone behaves and handles everything changes over time. Nothing is that static. And while it's wholly unfair, you know, I think if you've really made an effort to evolve, to communicate, to be better and have acknowledged what you've done, it's, it's such a shame when uh, your behavior in the past is held against you in the present. Because isn't that the point? Don't we want people to change? And this is my trouble with cancel culture, too. 
I'm all for accountability. But, you know, when you dig up stuff from a long time ago and this person's worked hard to be a better person, that's that's the best case scenario. I don't want people doing awful things. I, if, if you're horrible, I don't want you being disincentivized from changing. I want you to see examples of people that turned it around because I do think that the more we're exposed to, the more we practice empathy and the you know less ego oriented we are, we become such better people. And people say people never change. And like, yeah, in some senses, but I really do think that so much of the way we perceive the world and treat other people has to do with what we've experienced ourselves. And your empathy is just so much deeper when you have a relative idea of what somebody's going through and you don't overgeneralize it. Anyways, I'm rambling, but I just feel for you. I know this is awful and I know you're just trying to accept it. And I guess for any, you know, this advice maybe is more so for anybody else that goes through that. And I don't even know what's right, but um, I, what I've learning in life, especially in more recent years is like, you just cannot tell somebody else how to feel about their own experience. Um, and it's always better to respond and take a beat and think than to react and defend and, and you know, be confrontational, especially when you're trying to be the one to fix things. And uh, beyond that, my biggest like thing I think that's helped me in my life, my marriage, my friendships is if there is such a disconnect. And this is the most generic advice ever, but I really think it's important to remember when you're not connecting, when there's a fight or disagreement, everything that person says to you, say it back to them and ask them like if that if that's what like this is what I'm hearing. Is this what you mean? And ask them, say back what they said and then ask them if this is what they mean. And, you know, ask for the respect that the other person do that, too. And watch yourself be fascinated by what you think they said versus what they actually said and what they actually meant. And you almost have to break down conversations while they're happening because I will listen to somebody, but I'll be preparing my rebuttal in my head over listening. And then I'll take selective words and then I'll completely misconstrue them. And I just think like that in terms of a communication style, in terms of preventing some a relationship from growing this contentious is just a good thing to keep in mind. I asked my sister almost weekly. I literally am so afraid of this. Um, <laughs> I literally call them lifelong resentment checks. Uh, and I will ask her like, hey, girl, is, have I done anything recently for you to harbor a lifelong resentment toward me? Because like I need my sister, you know, like I I th th this situation crushes me being close to mine. And I feel so badly. And like I have you know heard of a lot of different scenarios like this over time with friends and stuff. And like. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. And I do think you really do need to check in with people you're close to, especially if you're a little off. And I need to be better about this for sure. It's just easy to let things go unnoticed until you're at a breaking point and then people won't turn back. And then it sucks when you're the other person that's left out to pasture and you didn't even know the whole time that you were doing anything wrong. It's just your fundamental differences, you know, allow for this disconnect that one per is more glaring to one person. Anyways, I love you. I feel for you. I don't know if that was helpful, but. Hang in there. Um, follow up with me if you want by email or something. Uh, I really hope you can figure this out. I hope she's safe and okay. And um, at the end of the day, don't drive yourself crazy um, trying to fix something or be responsible for something that is legitimately out of your control. While there's a lot of tools and strategies you can attempt, the biggest piece of acceptance is probably you know, just like the old serenity prayer says, accepting the things we cannot change. It is so hard to do and takes a lot of self-discipline and affirmation to really believe that. But um, I think that we'll start, st we stop being so hard on ourselves if we, you know, stop subscribing to the belief that we can control everything. Relinquishing control is ironically one of the most powerful things you can do 
uh, for your own mental health. I really believe that. So anyways, I love you. Thank you for calling and trusting me with this. I, I don't know. I wish I could help. <laughs> and please follow up with me. I would love to hear from you. All right, you guys. Um, That's it. Fun Kate Lila. I mean, it could keep going, but I'll try to keep it at a tight two, you know. Thanks for listening. I know this is more serious than usual, but I love your questions about life. I'd love to be able to help you with life if I can. It means a lot to me that you even think to call. Uh, please leave him voicemails anytime. 312-379-9676. Anyway, um, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash be there in five. There's over 100 bonus episodes. Gilmore Girls, Hamilton, Deep Dive. That's lots of things I need to finish. <laughs> But Patreon is just kind of like a more fun bonus episode playground where I just I don't even edit. It's like, uh, yeah, for for uh, listeners that want to support the show so the show can go on. The show only went on during quarantine, for example, because of Patreon. Uh, and I know people get so annoyed when you solicit it or withhold information or episodes for it. It's three dollars a month. And, you know, I just think it's important to remember that creators aren't being greedy I certainly am not sitting on a gold mine. It just honestly is kind of a co-signing of you like what I'm doing. You like the pod and just like you pay, um, you know, other outlets for the things they do. If you get any value out of this and would want to hear more stuff, then that is absolutely wonderful. But no pressure ever whatsoever. whatsoever. Um, and also you can go to join the PowerPoint parties if you that are every other week where listeners do mini deep dives on their niche obsessions, kind of like I do on this podcast, but I flip the script and we get to know the community better. And it's, it's honestly really, really fun and such a silver lining of um, this past year. And also, I don't run the Facebook group anymore, but the mods prioritize Patreon members. And please, for the love of God, do not join Patreon just to get in the Facebook group. That's insane. And it's not a bribery thing. It's just like, the problem was it's it's we want listeners in the group and then through certain posts and comments it's like clear when people aren't and it's hard to vet like how you know and if somebody's a paying customer like it's pretty intuitive they deserve perks um but also we kind of assume you don't like hate me and aren't like trolling and screenshotting if you <laughs> get pay money to get more of my content but then anybody in the regular queue it's just a matter of when people let in or let in or let go and there's turnover and just to keep it under a small, like specific number, people are let in in the order that which they applied. Uh, and yeah, a lot of these groups, like th things just have cues and, um, you know, to keep it a positive space, they run it pretty tight. And in 2021, who knows, maybe I'll, I'll just open the floodgates. <laughs> but this year, thing, I mean, Facebook's a stressful place and I just don't want to add to that. I don't even get on Facebook that much because I find it so stressful with the regular feed. I'm like, how can I? I wish there was a Facebook login just for like groups. I want to mute everyone else because <laughs> I love it so much and I love you guys so much. But um, anyway, yeah, just a reminder, I don't run it. If you reach out asking me your spot in the queue or whatever, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of a conflict of interest. I never want anybody to feel like I'm personally letting them in, kicking them out, not letting them in, you know, deleting their posts. Like I don't want to have a contentious relationship with you. But things like this do need like structure and to be run. So they're not free for alls. and then my podcast isn't associated with someone's opinion that I has nothing to do with anything I believe in because it goes, you know, uncaught or whatever. I know you guys get it. So anyway, just, you know, sorry that I can't be more helpful, but I, I've been getting a lot of DMs about that lately. And, you know, it's just, a, I think people take Facebook groups pretty seriously. And like we talked about earlier, people take everything really personally and not personal. The mods don't know you personally. And we're just trying to be like, you know what, we could like go crazy trying to figure out how to make this work. But we need it to be manageable. They're working for free and I love them so much. And we've been doing happy hours and it's so much fun. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, so I hope you respect that. It's just like we're trying to do what's what's manageable for everybody. And, um, you know, I once heard someone say this is our place. We make the rules. Um, but speaking of all the misery going on in the world, you guys, I just um, I recorded some of these earlier and like I well, I'm going to include a list of resources uh, for how to take action. A girl I went to high school with named Lindsay. She's been compiling anti-racist resources. The I mean, Jacob Blake uh, incident this week is just like, when is enough enough? I'm I just I feel like we're all feel like we're going crazy. It's just like and I'm proud of honestly, like I don't care about sports, but I've been impressed by the sports teams. And like the WNBA has been on the right side of history for years. They are always um, really fighting for social justice causes. And like the NBA gets all the glory and it's it's all it doesn't it's not about glory, but I just do think it's representative of like a deeper issue of them not getting acknowledged in the ways that they should. So be mindful of the of women's leagues, too, and make sure to support and spread their messaging as well, that they're going out of their way to support movements, to seek justice. The one thing I hate is the sharing of the videos like it's not it's just it's wrong. It's not a spectacle. There, a, it just shouldn't matter if there's video, right? You don't shouldn't need proof. You shouldn't need justification of why someone's a good person. It's just wrong. Uh, but beyond that, it's, what's a spectacle to you is like a really harsh reality for another person. And I feel like the people that are like can watch that, you know, desensitized. It's not something you fear every day of your life, you know, and I just can't believe people post that type of content. I can't believe it's not screened better. It's just, I was just like really frustrated at people who are posting this stuff. Um, anyway, it's I know I'm an escapist medium, but these things are going on. They're important to acknowledge. And it's just incredibly frustrating. And it's like no matter how like the petitions you can sign and the letters and the calls, it's just like, what is how I it's you just want to like scream or like kick up that you just want to do something. And it's just it's I was going to say shocking. It's like shocking how unshocking these things are and it's like so upsetting that i i it's just it's unbelievable it's unbelievable and it's also believable and that's what's so messed up about all of it and that's what keeps me up at night and i just i don't know i know a lot of you feel the same and you know it's if you want to take action if you want a list of what to do i'm gonna i'll again i'll include that in the episode notes thanks to Lindsay templeton and um anyway you guys i'm, I'm gonna head out I'm going to play a song from that. I So this, you know, how I have that group, the bitch pack, and we first started meeting once a week to earnestly discuss Taylor Swift lyrics. We're just a group of women in our 30s who like who love uh, music and lyrics and pop culture stuff. And um, we just had so much fun having like a serious discussion about like the lyrics as if they were, you know, English lit. And um, once we went through all the folklore songs, we started doing um, like years or eras of music and this past weekend we met for 90, 1997 to 2000 2000 it was those four years and I noticed that three out of no almost all of my songs had the word all in the title and I was like this is kind of funny because 1997 I this wasn't my final choice but um, it's all coming back to me. Came out by Celine. I I went through a major Celine moment, and then in '97, one of my favorite ballads of all time that I just think is so underrated. And I've definitely I've probably played this at least twice as an outro, but I'm thinking about it because my T T Swift Lyrics Club, uh, the Bitch Pack. We start we finished Folklore and we finished all of Taylor's other albums. So now we're meeting about other eras of music, and my theme was it's all coming back to me for '97 to 2000 because all four of my songs had the word all in the title. 
Um, one was Allure's All Cried Out. Uh, obviously, Celine's All Coming Back to Me was the, you know, the theme. Uh, but then it was uh, All My Life by Casey and Jojo, my wedding first dance song. Then Bring It All Back, S Club 7. Ain't no party like an S Club party because an S Club party is too many band members. And uh, All or Nothing, O-Town. Literally the best boy band ballad of all time. But I just don't think Allure, people, like, there's so many talented women's R&B acts in the 90s that just do not get the credit they deserve. Like, All Saints Never Ever, Allure All Cried Out. The song is a powerhouse. It's featuring 112. I love it so much. And I hope you do, too. And I'm sorry if I've already played it before. But awareness never hurts. Thank you again for being here. If you've made it to this point, I know you're really dedicated. I'm sure a lot of people drop off, drop off the episode, episode by now. And I just need to tell the people that are here um, tip to tail, if you will how much I love and appreciate you. And I know this is long and unusual, um, you know, insert obvious. That's what she said, jokey here, but it's like not 2006. I just, I, I, I appreciate you so much. And if you really love the pod, if you could rate and review five stars, uh, iTunes does its charts with like new reviews and new subscribers and not downloads. So I don't think a lot of people know that you don't even have to write when you can just click the five stars in the iTunes app or Stitcher or whatever. So you are the best. And as always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. 